Hi there, Matthew Parsons. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thanks. What can I do for you? What is Ghost Echoes? Ghost Echoes is a music history podcast with secret rules. Rule number one is... And then rule number two states that... And rule number three is that I'm not allowed to tell the listeners what the first two rules are. If you want to figure it out, you're going to have to subscribe to Ghost Echoes wherever you get podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen. And I'm Lara. And I'm Mike. Hi, guys. So we have a new month and a new theme this month. Um, So we're going to be talking this month in two episodes about toxic and abusive relationships. And I feel weird sounding (laughs) excited about talking about that. (laughs) I was about to be like, my favorite. I know. I just felt like I should say, I'm so excited to talk about this thing. Yeah, it's it's not an exciting thing to talk about. But I think it's like, I'm glad we are because I think it's something a lot of people deal with. And it's something that needs to be talked about more I think 100% it's soups relatable soups relevant um yeah evergreen some might say yep unfortunately so yeah so we're talking about toxic and abusive relationships and the movie that we're talking about for this episode is Midsommar Ari Aster's Midsommar or Midsummer 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 (laughs) Ari Ari Aster's Midsummer (laughs) I, I don't is that it? Like, is is there an a like agreed upon way to say that? I mean, I think it's supposed to be like pseudo Swedish or in Swedish because like somar is is summer in German, and I'm assuming Swedish. So midsommar, midsommar, that's the agree. I will not be putting on any sort of Swedish accent. Bork, bork, bork! It's the middle of the summer. First you put the chicken in the pot. That's pretty much all I can do. There we no, go. Whatever. whatever it, guys. Speaking of which, this movie would have been so much better if it was the Muppets. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Well, Midsommar with the Muppets would be the Muppets, incredible. The Muppets take Midsommar. <laughs> I can I see mean, it all. Okay, who's Miss Piggy? <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, it'd have to be... I don't know who should Miss, Miss Piggy. Piggy. I mean, would it would be, be Kermit, Kermit mm. and Miss Piggy. Mm. And it would I be... think you would gender swap i think so too well miss piggy is the classic maligned woman you know so (laughs) or it could be gonzo and camilla the chicken oh Mm. that's a deep cut you know we could really go that way (laughs) i'm glad we're covering the most important bases (laughs) i am too (laughs) that would be really interesting if i derailed the episode already (laughs) We all have. We're well, all driving this train. There's bound to be train. a Sesame Street spinoff of this. You know, their little, 
like there's been some Sons of Anarchy ones and um, Dexter and like Homeland. It's like, geez, Sesame Street, you're really going after that parent audience. And I appreciate it. Yeah, they know how to appeal to the parents that are they do. in the background also watching. Yeah, there's just so much you can learn from this movie, too, you know. Uh, <laughs> so what was our first experience watching this movie and kind of just general overall thoughts about it? So, Mike, how about you? When was the first time you watched it? Sure. So I saw this in theaters. I think the week it had come out, I was really excited because Hereditary is such an amazing film. Mm-hmm. And it's such an incredible look at schizophrenia that I'm like, I am on board with whatever Ari Aster was going to do for a follow-up. Uh, unfortunately, when I first saw it, like it was at the tail end of peak grad school for me. Um, mm-hmm. I had just completed like basically a year where I had done like 90 hours a week, like 30 hours Jeez. a week in an overnight job, an internship, um, two days a week at a school and a counseling center. And then like another 20 hours a week working as a grad school assistant. So I was completely burned out when I, when I went in to see this movie. And it basically, if I remember thinking like, this movie is brilliant. I never want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. It was like two and a half hours of someone suffering a severe breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it was just so hard to watch. Realizing like, it's gorgeous. I get what he's going for, but I don't know if I can handle this again. What's nice is being a year removed from it, watching it again this time, I immediately was like, all right, I think I have the director's cut in iTunes. I want to watch that now. Like completely different experience coming out Mm. of it. Interesting. Laura, what about you? So I also saw it the week it came out. It may have been like the night it came out or the day after. It was like either a Friday or Saturday night. And I went and saw it with some friends and my boyfriend at the time, who I just want to stay state for timeline's sake, that boyfriend, not a toxic, abusive person. There is a <laughs> boyfriend before him that, you know, no longer a boyfriend, but just in case anyone I know is listening, I just want to be clear um, which of my boyfriends were more <laughs> toxic. Anyway, wow, I already regret everything I've just said. But it for me, what I saw it and I was completely blown away with it. I mean, um, I also was a big fan of Hereditary and I have since gone on to become an Ari Aster son and watched even that really upsetting movie he made while in grad school about like just I can't even it's called like the problem with the Johnsons or something and it's just oh man it's fucked you got you can check if it's online you can watch it if you really want to be very upset this movie for me was like it couldn't have been more tailor-made for me I um I also really relate related to Danny um for better or for worse and uh I have been since 2017 dealing with my own family trauma, which was, you know, and I'll say it like I, my dad like died in front of me in the hospital. Um, and it was like sort of a grotesque death. And so I've had some like PTSD type stuff relating to that. So the beginning of the film for Danny, I really related to, and then I've also been in some not great relationships. And so just her whole arc that she went through in this movie, I found very cathartic it had a really big impact on me. Let's just put it that way. And it came at a time in my life when I really needed to see it. It's me- it's meant a lot to me. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. What about you, Jen? Well, I have a similar story. Um, yeah, I watched this in theaters, not quite as soon as it came out. I think Corey and I um, went one day when he took a day off work. But I had 
kind of had a similar reaction to the very the opening of this movie for different reasons. I had just had a traumatic event with my family where I was worried about a family member being violent. And so I saw, like, I was crying within, like, 10 seconds of this movie starting. Um, and and that was kind of like the experience of watching Hereditary is I feel like it just kind of broke me open. And then I was just ready for what was going to come next. And I had the same kind of cathartic feeling. And like watching it now and hear it like a year later and kind of reading a lot about it and kind of processing it more. I see that catharsis in a new light now, which I think we're probably mm-hmm. going to talk about later. But I just like I left the theater with that same smile on my face. And I was like, this this was <laughs> yeah. what I needed. And it was funny because Corey didn't really feel that way. <laughs> he was like, yeah, it was good. I thought it was really pretty. But I, it just like it hit me. And I have some quotes that we can talk about in a little while for why I think it kind of struck a nerve with me, but it just, it, yeah, I am now a, an Ari Aster stan as well, and we'll see whatever he's going to make, and what I heard is the next thing is like a four-hour horror comedy, which... Oh, I hell yeah. Nice. He's very funny. His writing, I don't think people like this movie, because I've seen it so many times since then, it's, I mean, it's actually very, very funny, and that's mm-hmm. what, one of the things that surprised me about it. I was just like, I mean, he really gets like comedic timing and comedic dialogue, but so I'm down for that. To me, when I hear that, it's kind of like Toby Hooper wrote Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is a direct reaction to people not getting the humor of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, (laughs) which to your point, like it's another very funny movie when you sit back and watch it removed from all the horror. You're like, this Mm -hmm. is like wickedly funny. So I mean, and I have a very fucked up sense of humor so you know they're singing singing my song yeah yeah I love horror comedies and there's like a fine line not to get us too off topic but like horror and laughter like screaming and laughter have a lot in common Mm. with each other there's a lot of overlap so when like a horror comedy can really nail it it's like Mm -hmm. yes you know and I think Ari Aster could do it really quick can we just like talk about Florence Pugh's 2019 like she had three movies in one year she had fighting with my family where she's playing like Paige from the wwe and as a member of that like uh, a british wrestling family that's like very famous for like uh, developing talent um amy and little women and then this like this turn is like danny in midsummer is mind-blowing and Mm -hmm. i know like the in 2018 it was like nominate tony Galette for the Oscar for her hereditary, you cowards, like do it. But yeah. honestly thought that like Florence Pugh blows that performance like out of the water here. Like there is so much more going on here and it's so much more empathetic and so much more mm-hmm. challenging overall. I, like, yeah. Well, one, yes. Slay queen. Um, mm-hmm. Two, uh, she... I don't know that I want to like compare it to Tony Collette's performance, but just because... I don't know. I feel like they both stand on their own legs. They're both but, great. Yeah. They're both great but, performances, but no one said like nominate Florence yes. Pugh. Which yes, I which I was actually shocked me because I just, I mean, obviously this movie had a huge impact on me and, there, and 2019 had a lot of great films in it in general. Like she just put everything into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, mm-hmm. you can feel it in your bones. Like she deserves, she deserves a lot of more recognition mm-hmm. for it. If yeah, she... and for a hard role, like, I feel like she's expressing grief in a way we don't see very often that mm-hmm. feels so much more authentic, at least mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believed. I mean, I, I I felt it. I felt it. I do, it, yeah. It, just from a career standpoint, if she gave these three performances between a five-year period, 
we would talk about how incredible and how great her range is. Like mm. all of these came out within a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's fucking crazy, man. Like she put herself through the through the ringer for this shit. Like no mm-hmm. no wrestling pun intended. I don't is that even no. <laughs> that's like rags. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the word ring in it though. I'll get yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I'll laugh. Yeah, okay. And so just on that topic too for just a second, one of the things I love about this movie is that Ari Aster refuses to sexualize her and I yes. love it. Like and really there I don't really feel that any of the female characters are sexualized, even considering the sex scene that we have in this. And it just I've got a lot of thoughts about this, whether it's a feminist movie or not, and that's one of them, but I just love that so much. Like I would really be drawn to working with Ari Aster after seeing this movie 100 percent you know yeah I don't know if it's a feminist movie or but it definitely does he doesn't like use the male gaze in a negative fashion or in a traditional fashion like you know um I never feel like anyone is being exploited in any Mm -hmm. of his movies yeah yeah even when the characters are exploiting other characters you know yes yeah Yes, it's 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 interesting. All right. So let's <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> this, the synopsis of this movie. And we're going to do it like we did it last time. We've got two versions um, and we've got the A24. OK, quick question. A24 or A24? Oh, boy. I've always A24. said A24, but oh, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I truly don't know that there's I don't know. OK, somebody tell us. So I'm going to read the A24 synopsis. And then we have written our, uh, well, I don't want to claim credit for Laura's work. Laura has written another synopsis, which I think kind of is how we feel about it a little bit more. Okay. Danny and Christian are a young American couple with a relationship on the brink of falling apart. But after a family tragedy keeps them together, a grieving Danny invites herself to join Christian and his friends on a trip to a once in a lifetime midsummer festival in a remote Swedish village. What begins as a carefree summer holiday in a land of eternal sunlight takes a sinister turn when the insular villagers invite their guests to partake in festivities that render the pastoral paradise increasingly unnerving and viscerally disturbing. Whew. From the visionary mind of Ari Aster comes a dread-soaked cinematic fairy tale where a world of darkness unfolds in broad daylight. Ugh, that's a lot of words. <laughs> That one sentence was very long. I didn't appreciate I how long it was until I witnessed you reading it. <laughs> yeah, I sentence. like some words, but yeah, that, that, I mean, that I felt a little word salad but yeah. You could run that one through Grammarly and they could cut it down quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, exactly. Now, she now goes let's, with them. <laughs> let's do grammar corner of the podcast where I do work as a copy editor and copywriter so I can really entertain you. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, and you had a thought about the way that this is described, right? Laura? Yeah, I wrote, so, you know, well, I wrote again, I'm just, this is a podcast where I read my own notes. Um, <laughs> the official version says Danny, quote, invites herself to Sweden, which is like really minimizing and weird. Like, fuck you, A24. I thought you guys were cool. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, uh huh. it's a little more complicated than that. Um, so this is my my synopsis. So yeah, like where I basically just say like, A24 gets the premise more or less correct <laughs> since they produced and distributed it. Here it is. 
After her sister murder-suicides her entire family, a grieving and codependent Danny further burrows into her relationship with Christian, a cherubic-looking dipshit who embodies (laughs) everything there is to embody about white male mediocrity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Following a winter spent in near-catatonic depression, she joins Christian and his anthropology PhD pals on a swift to a Swedish midsummer festival. What unfolds is some straight-up liquor man-inspired folk horror, but really, it's a movie about a breakup, and it's a movie about trauma, and it's a movie about all the subtle ways people suck, and it's about catharsis, for good or ill. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like your <laughs> mm-hmm. rendition Hi- of that. I think that's much better. Thanks, mm-hmm. guys. Hire me, H24, to write your descriptions. <laughs> Just hire yeah. me. Please hire me. <laughs> this is a, a movie I think really benefits from kind of unpacking, you know? There's like, yes. there's just so much going on. And I think I was a little worried about how I would feel about it the next, the second time watching it. And I think I liked it a lot more, which I didn't think was going to be possible because I loved it the first time. Um, so we're, we're going to do a feelings check-in kind of like, how do we feel when we watch this? And we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, um, but is there anything else we want to add about that? Like, how does this movie make us feel, you know? Like, I felt great after I left. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the key takeaway is that, I mean, and something that I think is really important to unpacking it is just how fucking great I felt after watching it for the first time, which Mm -hmm. also made me go, oh, dear, what's wrong with me? You know, (laughs) a little bit, Um, because uh, as we'll discuss and, you know, there's lots of spoilers, we will always be all spoilers all the time. Like the ending is fucked up and what Danny participates in may be kind of fucked up, um, but the her catharsis is mine and it's the viewers and I think it's unambiguous in like celebrating being celebratory in its final images so yeah which is so bizarre because I walked out of hereditary just feeling like I had been like wrung out like a dish rag and like was I had sobbed through half of that movie and so it was so different like night and day the way I processed both of these movies and I loved no no pun intended I think that the end of Midsummer feels so much more earned. What is the teenage boy? Is it Charlie or it's Peter in in Hereditary? Yeah, yeah. Charlie's, Charlie's the, the little girl. Yeah. yeah, Peter doesn't deserve his fate. Absolutely, right? the right? whole family. Peter, I mean, it's yeah. He doesn't deserve. Where when you watch this, and there's been a number of articles written, like does Christian really deserve his fate at the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, look, being a crappy boyfriend doesn't mean you should get burned alive in a. In a bear um, suit. Bear skin suit. <laughs> yeah. But in the con- in the context of like a genre film, yes, he earns yes. he yes. earns that ending. He, you know, paid for it many times over. Mm. Where so to your point about hereditary, when you walk out of there feeling like you've been wrung out, it's because you're watching at the end you have a character that doesn't really deserve what happens to them. He's Weird. inheriting all the the troubles of his family. He's inheriting. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's it's exactly what is on the box. Hereditary, you know, mm-hmm. like that's what that movie is about. And this movie is about a lot of. It's. I think it's in many ways a probably a, a more complicated movie. Um, mm. and I think it requires some navel gazing, and we are definitely going to get into all that about you know whether it's it's psychologically healthy or not but like Mm -hmm. man like i don't actually endorse murdering your shitty boyfriend in a bear suit and in a fire but Mm -hmm. and yes like you just said mike for the sake of the film and the sake of a genre film like man is it earned Mm -hmm. yeah well okay so mike i wanted to ask you because one of the things i noticed was and i don't want to oversimplify and and generalize but i found a lot of my female friends or female identifying friends loved this and a lot of my male friends did not like this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have noticed that trend. 
So yeah, like, do you kind of share? I think that's share? fair. <laughs> yeah. And so do, would you, do you think you would fall into that? Or do you think, because you haven't talked about how cathartic you felt when you were watching it. Like we were like rhapsodizing over it. So it's interesting because like I said, the first time I saw this movie, I definitely appreciated what Oster was going for and the craft that went into it. And I'm like, this is a brilliant movie. But I think it was more a case of being where I was at that point in my life. Like, right. Like, what's funny is, a matter of fact, like the week that I saw this movie, I got an email from my advisor who was the last professor that I had. I had her for my last internship class. And she sent me an email, and I'd had her for like four other classes. And uh, Dr. Freeberg is brilliant. She was a phenomenal advisor. I've learned so much from her. She sent me this long email that basically boiled down to like, dude, you're being a dick in class because it was my last class. I had, I was like, I'm done school. I just want to work and get paid. Why am I still doing this right now? And I remember like reading it as I was getting on a plane to take my family to uh, Florida for vacation. And I'm like, you know what? She's right. So I like wrote her back like, thank you so much for calling me out for this. Like. I'm going to take, I'll, I'll email something longer, but I got to reflect and like what you're telling me here. Cause I think you're right. And I think I know the reasons why. Kudos to you for, yeah, you know, yeah for real. Well, that is not so an easy not thing a Christian. to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I mean the so, character. <laughs> so I felt like Christian earned, totally earned that ending. I feel like, and I felt like it was really cathartic. Like mm. he definitely got what he deserved, but I do think there's a little bit, I think watching it again, I was, especially after having a year in the field and working with some people that have suffered for some truly horrific and toxic relationships, I was much more aware of exactly why this relationship was so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Much more unsettling in ways that like maybe aren't readily apparent unless you're really looking for them. Yes. Um, And I'd love to hear you get more into that because one of the things that I like about it, and mm -hmm. I think you probably will be talking about this is that it's not just a obviously abusive relationship. It's not like the cartoon getting slapped around or something Mm -hmm. like it's, it's just not that that is a cartoon or doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. obviously but as far as how abusive relationships are depicted in media it's right. subtle and yeah. i'm very curious to hear your thoughts right. on that and we'll definitely get into it because one of the things that made his behavior so insidious is the way that he would treat danny i think is more likely to shape her behavior for years to come mm-hmm. i think it's a little bit easier to go back and look at like yep i was with someone that used to hit me and then i escaped and i'll never let that happen again although that doesn't always happen it's a lot more difficult to see the very subtle ways that she was manipulated by christian mm-hmm. and whether or not that those patterns are repeating themselves at the end of this movie yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, well, and so that leads me into the next question. Why did we choose this for our episode on toxic relation, toxic and abusive relationships? Because this I is think- a very toxic relationship. <laughs> yeah. I know. I've had some relationships like this and I definitely identified a lot with Danny in in ways that kind of broke my heart a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. Same. I mean, really hard, same. Like, and in my, you know, in, in my personal life, like I, don't I'm not saying the person that I was with was is anywhere near the level of a Christian but and I Mm -hmm. and I think that but 
it was subtle and it was toxic for both of us. And, and just watching how they do this dance with each other in Mm -hmm. this movie is, um, you know, revelatory not to be, uh, dramatic, but I, I think that this, we chose it for exactly the reasons we just discussed is that, you know, this is a really interesting depiction of a non-traditional toxic relationship or, and yeah, it kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. And something I think a lot of people um, may not realize that they might be in, you know? Yes. That, yeah. like Mike said, Insidious, mm-hmm. another completely yeah. different kind of horror movie. Yeah. So let's get into that a little bit. So Mike, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, because we're not talking about a diagnosis here. We're not talking about right. like a categor- categorical or categorizable illness, although I think there are some that are going to play into this. So like, mm-hmm. what are we talking about as far as a mental health issue here? Yeah, this was really tricky. And this is where I like busted out the DSM-5, <laughs> which is the what we use in, in terms of like, going through symptomology and assigning a diagnosis. And what was tricky here is there's not a lot of guidance in the DSM Mm -hmm. in this area. It's all the way in the back of the manual, like right before you get to the section where it's like, here are things that need further review before they would get added. There's, they're really limited in terms of like the amount of disorders that kind of talk about or examine disparities and relationships it falls under this really broad category called other conditions that may be the focus of clinical attention. Oh, that's Um, fun. So you don't have like (laughs) depression, you know, it's like, nope, it's like this broad kind of catch-all at that point. Yeah. And under there, there's not only partner relationships, but deficiencies in like parent-child relationship issues, physical, sexual, and emotional child abuse or neglect, relationship distress between spouses and intimate partners, Um, It does cover, like, physical or sexual violence between spouses or partners. And then it gets into, like, adult abuse by non-spouses or non-partners. So think of, like, a healthcare worker or someone that assists a person that might have intellectual or developmental disabilities and someone that abuses that person Mm. overall. The issue is there's not a lot of guidance here. So I'm going to paraphrase like the Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart when he talked about obscenity. Mm. It's like basically you'll know that it's abuse when you see it. That there's not like these distinct symptoms that come up. Mm. Mm-hmm. In Danny and Christian's case, the question is whether or not his treatment of her is tantamount to emotional abuse. He's definitely hostile towards her. He doesn't seem to consider her needs or her emotional well-being at any point. But is it just a matter of the two being a bad fit for one another? And that would be like basically just what they would call relationship distress with a spouse or intimate partner. And that's when you're talking about, you know, like I'm giving you this diagnosis so the insurance company will reimburse me Mm. at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, Shout out to the uh, American healthcare system. Here you go. Going by, I have the feeling as the episode goes on, like (laughs) I am going to have less to say. Well, not that I'll have less to say, but you guys are going to go off and take the listeners to school. So, you know, so I'm (laughs) I'm getting my stuff in now, basically. Um, The evidence that's presented in the movie, my gut feeling is that the trouble between this couple is like way deeper than just not being able to talk about their stuff openly. Mm. When you look at the evidence in the movie we're going to get into, it's clear that Danny's trapped in a relationship where she's dependent on her partner and that he doesn't have her best interests at heart. The only question is whether Christian's guilty of not only partner neglect, but if it rises to the level of something more insidious, which is 
the psychological abuse of Danny. Mm. And that difference can be pretty pretty subtle. With neglect, you're usually in situations where the, a person's dependent on the other for assistance or caregiving, or they need help getting through day-to-day activities. And that's not normally the case for Danny. I think she's presented as a very intelligent, capable woman at times in this movie. And you also see her as one of the few kind and empathetic people that can hear other people out here Mm -hmm. and isn't just in this for herself. But at the outset, you see the kind of state that she's in. She's already suffering from this major anxiety episode before she even receives the news about her parents and sister. She's aware of how these calls to Christian are impacting their relationship, but she can't help herself. Mm -hmm. Like She's compelled to make that call and turn to him for support. Even though she knows, like, she's not going to get what she needs out of the call. And I, I, I do love the way that's handled in the film and the way that it's shown and not, like, told mm-hmm. to us. is just really good yeah. writing. Um, Me too. She, from the outset, is suffering from this kind of, like, immeasurable l- grief and this, this loss that I wouldn't want anyone to have to go through that and imagine what it's like to go through that sort of loss. Mm-hmm. And the it's clear that at that moment. Feel. Yeah. Yeah, right. just immense on every level. It's it's mm. completely heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If Christian was any sort of decent person, the kindest thing he could have done, and it would be a much shorter movie, <laughs> would have been like telling her, like, look, I cannot give you the support you need. Um, I can't do this for you. Like, I'm not capable of it and breaking things off with her. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do this because as you see throughout the movie christian's a fucking coward Mm -hmm. huge coward the hugest he's just he's just the worst Um, mark gives him a run for his money but yeah christian is mm -hmm. mark is just more of a mark is just a dip like just a fucking little man baby like i don't mm -hmm. know yeah, yeah. uh huh. Christian's the one that pretends to be good or doesn't even know that he's got that mark in him. You know, he's right. to make an analogy to the film. Um, like Mark is like the like really obvious phallic symbols that are mm-hmm. like studded throughout the field and uh, that they're in, and and Christian yeah. is one of the like hidden dicks painted deep mm-hmm. in one of mm-hmm. the tapestries on the walls. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so where I see this relationship kind of tipping into psychological abuse is Christian's manipulation of Danny. Mm. Specifically, he makes her feel like she's crazy or that she's wrong for expressing her feelings, particularly when they conflict with what his own wants and desires are. Mm -hmm. He's not physically or sexually abusive towards her. He doesn't try to cut her off from her friends or anyone else that might be in her supportive network. But what he is is dismissive of her concerns when she expresses them about her sister. That feels a bit more like someone who just doesn't give a shit um, and just doesn't want to be there for their partner. Doesn't want to hear it. But where, yeah, where it becomes worrying is the gaslighting, the lying, and the making himself the victim Mm -hmm. and his his inability to ever admit a mistake, even when he's called out on it. So to me, this dips into the kind of psychological abuse that I don't think that he's aware of. I think a lot of abusers are completely aware that they're abusing your partner. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he tips into that territory. It's very and ambiguous. That's all the, sometimes even scary yeah. at that point. Do, would you call him a um, narcissist, Christian? You know, it's it's difficult to say. Like He does show a lot of the things you would see in a personality disorder. 
like a narcissistic personality disorder or even being like a pure sociopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's at that point, it's not just Danny that he does it to, and you may you may be mm-hmm. Wa- mm-hmm. you know waiting to speak about this, but he does it to Josh as well. You know, it's like his his oh, behavior yeah. with his with his peer mm-hmm. with his colleague is absolutely yeah. reflective of what he does to Danny and. Yeah, I'm sure you have thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, that's the moment when he lost me coming at the tail end of grad mm. school. I'm like, yeah, you do not steal a man's <laughs> fucking piece like, of shit. That's <laughs> that's the moment where I went from like this is just a bad relationship and they both need to get out of it to be like, oh no, mm. no, no, no. Like and then I was no longer every then you see it through a way different lens mm. at that point. Oh, so. well, and that's an it. interesting thing to this movie because I have had toxic relationships that were not romantic you know I've had like toxic relationships Mm -hmm. with former bosses and with friends Mm -hmm. and with well parents but I think that it's interesting because you can see Christian's pattern of behavior and I think that kind of it's it it doesn't make it just kind of gives you a little more sympathy for Danny too you know you're like oh maybe they're Mm -hmm. not just not right for each other it's yeah Christian has these issues yeah I see how it is Uh Uh uh-huh and I I think what what one of the things that Astor does really well with this movie is, you know, it's not a complete one-way street. It's not like Danny is completely without flaw Mm -hmm. and Christian's awful. Like, there are some really... it's Sometimes it's okay to be like, I just am not equipped to work with this person Mm -hmm. or be with this person because of their troubles. That's a very human thing. We're not all equipped to stay with somebody. And sometimes we have to let someone go because their problems are too immense for us to kind of take on at that Mm -hmm. point but to danny's credit like you could see her really putting in the work despite everything she was struggling with she was also open to being supportive of others and listening to others and Mm -hmm. as best as she could not make everything about her she's trying so hard and trying through one of the most horrible things an individual could you know experience you know the the complete annihilation of their family mm-hmm. you know that she loved and 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 she was and you see that she like josh you know like christian shits on josh danny has been struggling with this relationship with her sister you know and and i think like some of those those patterns that she is engaging in with christian are probably patterns she was engaging in with her sister and just like christian at the beginning of the movie is like oh you know you let her do this to you like you know, he doesn't realize that he's actually um, having an insight about their own relationship and how toxic mm-hmm. it is. Because despite the fact that he was being dismissive and gaslighty, like there is an insight there about the ways that these relationship patterns can develop and manifest. And I, I think that's really, I've, mm-hmm. I've seen this movie enough times now to be like, oh, I see it all. It's all there from the beginning. Okay, so would you call Danny codependent? I would say, yeah, I would say at this stage she is. And one of the questions I think we'll make dig into it a little bit more later on is whether or not she is trading one codependent relationship for another Mm -hmm. at the end of this movie. It's clear that the relationship with Danny and Christian is really unhealthy. Like Christian just has a complete utter lack of empathy and caring for this person and really for anyone else in his orbit. He consistently manipulates her and he preys on her feelings. Um, like he knows exactly what buttons to press in order to get her to come mm-hmm. around yeah. to his way of thinking. And that's, that's why that smile at the end feels so oh, yeah. earned. Just as Christian has manipulated Danny, the group, the 
Pele's family has also <laughs> manipulated everybody mm-hmm. at this oh, yeah. point. Like, They're not great. <laughs> Mark, right. Yo, like Mark, yes, he pissed on the ancestor, the, the ancestral tree. But if he showed up there and like minded all his P's and Q's and was like the nicest dude ever, he was still going to end up like right. Yeah. The end. Like Just, there's nothing that anyone could have done to like the British couple, Connie and what's his name? Simon, um, I think. They're mm-hmm. Connie and Simon. Like they're perfectly decent folk and uh-huh. they get stuffed with hay and set on fire all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a lot of like, I'm not exactly sure where I fall on the ending of this movie and whether it is. And I think I was very defensive at first when people would say, she's just trading another codependent relationship for another, because I didn't want to like sour that feeling of catharsis. I felt, yeah, you know, it's not fun like, anymore. I <laughs> yeah. know. I was like, no, but this meant so much to me. And I think now I can see it. And I, I do agree that there's a lot there. And I was reading an article that was talking about how the Harga are kind of a representation of a support system that Danny hadn't had before and I think that's what I was connecting to. But I think yeah. when I think about the end, and I guess, do we want to talk about this now or do we want to wait a little bit? I guess we're kind of, we're kind of You're already cool. into it. So um, yeah, let's, let's go whole hog. Let's, let's yeah. fuck this pig. I'm sorry. I didn't mean <laughs> to say that. I'm sorry. I'm trying no, no, to no. take it down. Go on. Carry on. Jen. When I th- think about this movie, there's a big part of me that wants to read it as a feminist movie. And like, I don't think Danny's a final girl, um, but I think, And I don't know if I really see her empowering herself in this. I kind of see her, uh, there is a little bit of empowerment, but I think, I don't think this is necessarily as much a feminist movie as it is just anti-patriarchy, you know? I think it's like burning everything down and kind of making the point that maybe, like, we have to be careful when we do that because maybe there won't be anything there to replace it. If we burn everything down and if we just get rid of this guy that has been um, emotionally abusing us, that solves part of the problem. But the problem of what drew us to that person to begin with is still there. And that's something that I've dealt with a lot because I was in a lot of codependent relationships and was codependent for a long time. And it's like just getting rid of that guy doesn't necessarily fix it it just leaves you open and vulnerable for the next guy to come in now or the next multiple people that all want to hold you and scream simultaneously (laughs) yeah yeah oh man I got a lot of thoughts about that I think that's what's so so enticing and why why this movie is so compelling is because that, that whenever you watch things about cults or hear about like I've been very into cults throughout my life just reading about them and learning about them um and this one is one where I'm like I think it's the first representation of a cult in media that I've watched and been like oh I would want I could see myself getting seduced by this you know mm-hmm. because what Pele says to her when he goes, but right when she's about to leave and he, he talks to her about Christian and he says, like, do you do you feel held by him? That mm-hmm. was the line that really, like, just stabbed me in the gut in the movie because I have never, ever, ever felt held by anyone in any relationship. And I realized that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get, like, actually emotional. No. This fucking movie makes me emotional. <laughs> um, that, like, that's missing in every relationship I've ever had that was supposed to be meaningful to me. And that's so appealing to someone who, who is, who is in that moment of feeling completely unmoored, completely without her family, completely in a relationship that doesn't 
do anything for her and is in fact like sucking the life out of her that offer of like hey feel held and I mean mm-hmm. I have talked to a number of friends who were like like it's so weird and everything this cult does is so weird and all the girls crying together is so fucking weird and it's so memeable and it's become like a meme but there's something about it that is like oh shit I wish I wish through my grief that there were a bunch of fucking people around me all doing it collectively and then this like you know and especially in this moment in America I think we're all experiencing like the sins of rugged individualism and and what capitalism and all this stuff has has left us completely bereft and completely unable to deal with this public health crisis and with this social justice crisis that has been here all along and this movie show and i'm sorry i'm going off on some shit here um like this movie really like there's something about this fucking weird swedish cult that you like i just get that on a visceral level like they all Mm want to just do everything together and hold you and yeah. like, God damn, I get the appeal of that. Like, <laughs> it's no. it's really, but to all of your points, it's not necessarily good. And it's it's swinging too hard in the opposite direction. You should always be skeptical of that. And you and when you're vulnerable, that's when the cults and the weirdos and you know they all that's when they get you. You yeah. know, that's mm-hmm. when you end up selling Herbalife. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Jen, you had said earlier how. One of the things you appreciate about this movie is how it doesn't sexualize mm-hmm. Danny. And I think one of the really critical aspects of the movie is that when Danny has that emotional breakdown at the end of the film, it is a group of women that are uh-huh. with her, that are lifting her up, that are taking her grief in. It's not Pele stepping in at that moment. So I think that it would have been so much more obvious for Christian to ju- for Christian to be replaced with Pele. That's what a very mm-hmm. on the nose movie would do. And I think to see that like, and it wasn't just like one person, but this group of women all taking her pain in mm-hmm. with her and transforming that pain at that point to the point where, yes, I do feel like by the end of it, that this is a codependent relationship. I do get filled with a little bit of hope that like Danny is starting to develop some coping tools that she'll be able to use to kind of empower herself more and not rely on others. I think too, when Pele asks Danny, do you feel held the next image you see, it immediately cuts to the two corpses being carried to the carried Mm. to the crematorium at that point. And you see these two mangled bodies that are just, and I don't think that's accidental. I think you see the way that this relationship has absolutely mangled both Danny mm. and Christian. I didn't catch that, but I think you're right. That's I remember being jarred by that cut because Ari Aster is the master of yeah. the, well, let's cut to an extreme close-up of something fucked up and not give uh-huh. you any time to look away, which yeah. is a great horror tactic, but I think that's a really good insight. I think that's awesome. Yeah, that that scene with the women, that is my favorite scene in this movie and maybe my favorite scene of like 2019. I don't know. that. I think I probably sobbed through it because it just felt so, it's that feeling of being seen and accepted that I feel like, and it, I, I don't want to say that's a, f- a thing females don't, or female identifying people don't feel as much, but that's something like I just had this, have always had this experience of having, feeling like I had to hide my pain. And that's yeah. what I connected so much with Danny with. And it just, it 
meant really meant a lot to me. And I think you can really take the juxtaposition of the image with Christian holding her at the beginning and her face is like in his lap and he's just kind of sitting there staring and not looking at her. Compare that to the image of them holding her their her face in their hands and looking at her and like absorbly use the word Mike absorbing and I think that's what they're doing and I mean insidious or not there's like a longing for that kind of acceptance that I think a lot of us feel and it just it that Mm. really touched me because I think that's something that we don't our society is not set up for and like Mm -hmm. when I look at this like as an anti-patriarchy movie, like I, I, I wrote a thing about how I think Christian Josh and Mark represent like the three kind of wings of the patriarchy and how it just is presenting that as so toxic. And so the alternative is going to look better just because we're seeing so like how um, repressed and how like painful that is to survive in it you know because Danny has basically everything stripped away from her in this movie and she's just kind of existing in this system of like oppressing her and then there's this other option that is bright and sunny and she gets to wear a dress that like has flowers on it and it just (laughs) and it seems so appealing and all you got to do is every few years sacrifice nine lives (laughs) and crack an egg (laughs) yeah (laughs) Well, so we've talked a little bit, well, we've talked a lot about, um, like how we see Christian kind of abusing, I don't know, I still don't know if that's the word we want to use, my, like, is there any specific things that stand out that he does that feel particularly insidious or abusive, like specific actions or words, you know? Sure. So I would say the first, and I had my notes here, the key exchange for me is when they have their argument after Danny discovers Christian's mm. leaving for Sweden without, he really doesn't have any intention of ever mm. letting her know that he's leaving. You could see it be like the night before him just being like, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. going away, whatever. Or texting her from um, the airport or something. Yeah. He flat out lies to her and says like, I just decided mm-hmm. today I wasn't keeping it from you. She calls us like, you already have a ticket. Mm-hmm. And his sorry is like this biting edge sorry, to it, I almost guess. like, you know, so you see that, like he just flat out lies to her. And then he plays like this kind of semantics game with her when Danny's like, let's reverse the roles for a minute. If I came to you and said, like, my girlfriends and I are going to China for three months for summer break, how would you feel? And he's like, well, it's Sweden and it's a month mm-hmm. and a half. You know, he doesn't acknowledge anything that she said. His apology has that, like, I'm sorry if some people were offended by words. I'm sorry if you felt like I said mm-hmm. something offensive. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Right. right. <sighs> and when, when Danny calls him out on his bullshit, he pouts. And instead of having what would be, you know, it would be a difficult and it would be a painful conversation to have. He plays that in knowing how vulnerable she is and how she does not want to be alone in that moment he's like maybe i should just go home that was the moment that's when you're tipping into that abuse because you know how vulnerable she is and where that vulnerability lies at that moment and he's like this is how because yeah that's how i read that moment was like i don't think he actually had the intention of leaving he was just gonna use it to threaten Mm -hmm. her and get and cow her into the response that mm-hmm. he wanted mm. and it pissed yeah. me off and, so much <laughs> yeah in this interaction and there are other interactions that end with danny apologizing mm-hmm. to him yep 
And if he were to say, like, look, you don't need to apologize. We're just we're having a misunderstanding. That would be one thing. But he wants that. He wants to feel like mm-hmm. he's the victim here. And every single time they fight, she apologizes to him. She makes excuses for his behavior. Um, and that's very much like in a classic abusive scenario. You would see like, well, he yelled at me because or he hit me because mm-hmm. I did this. She's very much doing that here. Well, it's my fault you didn't remember my birthday because mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. remind you. Like, you shouldn't have to remind someone that loves you when these important mm-hmm. days are. The only reason I would recommend watching the director's cut, which I have seen, and it is a lesser movie. I think they made the right choices with the edits they made, mm-hmm. but that you get, like, much more of their fights. You get, like, a full fight that was yeah. cut out, I think, um, and, like, just more detail in there that I think just backs up everything you're saying. Yeah, there was an exchange mm-hmm. that, well, I wrote down Danny's side of it when, and it's at the very beginning when he's minimizing her sister's email and how upset she is about mm-hmm. that. And she says, You're right. I just needed to be reminded I'm very lucky to have you. And that just screamed yeah. like placating. Like, this is what he wants to hear mm-hmm. so that he will, so that it still is easy for him to mm-hmm. stay with you, you know? It's the kind of language that you, in behavior, that you see in people that carry mm-hmm. that abuse with them, no matter, and not only in that relationship, but in other relationships in their life. They, they placate others in order to not yeah. feel And in order to avoid way. the fear that you're about to be rejected or that they're about to just walk away and be like, fuck mm-hmm. you, I'll never see you again, you know? Yeah, and I'm like, I do that shit all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it's, you. yeah, and it's yeah. maybe not to the you know, on the nose degree that we're seeing in the movie, because it's, God, I catch myself doing that shit all the time. And so when I saw her doing it, and I think mm-hmm. it's something that like women are socialized to do a lot too, is to mm-hmm. apologize, put exclamation points in the sure. emails. I saw a very funny tweet that was like, <laughs> how about if men start putting mm-hmm. exclamation points in emails? Anyway, mm-hmm. th- that's a side note. But I do think, I think that it's absolutely a remnant of abuse. And it's also something women are socialized to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the conversation around abuse, it should be like there's a conversation around racism sometimes where you hear like, well, if you don't say the N word or if you're not wearing Mm -hmm. a Klan robe uh, or if you're not like sporting a Confederate flag, you know, trucker's cap, then you can't be a racist. Like people don't want to confront the reality that like a lot of times like it's built right Mm -hmm. into the system. Like the system we have isn't broken. It was designed like this 300 years ago. Abuse is often like that. Like we think of abuse has to be these very, it has to be like a neon sign lit up, like someone strikes another person or they're screaming at another person. It's like, no, like other four, this, this is very much to me, this manipulation of her feelings and this manipulation of basically making feel like she is responsible for Mm -hmm. his good behavior. Like, he shouldn't be expected to know things on his own. Like, he needs her to remind her. Otherwise, it's not his fault if he's inconsiderate of her. And I think, too, like, the two times early in the movie where he manipulates Danny and then he manipulates his friends and saying, she said she's coming with us 
Uh, or she said she, she wants to go on the trip, but she's not really going to come. And oh yeah, guys, you guys all are on board mm-hmm. with this. He waits till so, she's literally at you know, the door to say this, to drop this bomb on them. And they're right. all just like, well, we yeah. have no chance to even have a say in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those times when we see Christian, we're looking at his image yeah, reflected I love in that. the mirror. We're not looking at him. And it was just like a really nice way to show like this guy cannot be authentic. Like we're looking at you know, the reflection of a partner, like what we think a partner or a friend should look like. And we're not looking at the another awesome insight that, that I, I noted the mirrors and felt like it had significance and it was doing something, but I didn't totally make that connection. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's part of that kind of feeds into the, the codependency thing, which is something that I identify myself as codependent. And I read uh Codependent No More by I think it's Melanie Beattie. Um, but that's kind of the classic codependency book. And that was such an eye opener for me. Kind of like watching this movie. I was like, oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. Oh, yeah. And it's like there's this feeling of emptiness and like surely I'm not deserving of love. So I have to find that love from somebody else. And because I don't think I'm deserving of it they won't just give it to me. So I have to trick them into getting this love. And so it's constantly trying to manipulate the feelings of others. And it just starts to escalate, escalate, escalate. Because like, even if Christian were a great person and just like a normal, rational guy, because I've had codependent relationships with people that were just like, they're fine, you know? Um, Yeah. And I still think it would wear on him and it would be a toxic relationship. He just happens to, they feed each other with it. Yeah. They're the perfect. It's that's why I say it's always takes like takes two to tango. And she, he, he is definitely, I think by the end of this movie, a notably worse person than she is, but that doesn't mean that they're not having the dance. They are, they are absolutely feeding each other's worst traits. Yeah. Well, and so, Mike, do you think there's hope for this this couple? Like, is there anything, maybe before they go to Sweden, is there anything, like, what can you do if you see yourself in this movie, unfortunately? Yeah. That's really hard. Um, so... I'm trying to like I'm going through my notes here. What would yeah, couple for Christian and Danny? Like? That's another another um, short film. It would be like it would definitely, and I'll go back to my professor who said she, the reason she became like a couples therapist is because like treating individuals can be really <laughs> fucking boring sometimes. Because like all you're doing is you're hearing like one person's point mm-hmm. of view about a relationship, and you're like, well, it's no. My dad used to have a joke. It's like they name streets after you. Mm. They're called one way, you know? So it's um, this idea that like, it's never completely some Mm -hmm. one person's fault. You know, there's always like a little bit to go around. One of the goals of couples counseling isn't always like, should this couple stay together? In the case of Danny and Christian, it might be, how do you separate from one another and end this like romantic entanglement? Mm -hmm. amicably so that you're not inflicting pain on one another and not Mm. inflicting pain on yourself that might be one of the goals like making them realize like neither of you are good for each other and neither of you should be in a relationship right now and kind of set danny up for what a healthy support system would be for her right right Mm -hmm. And that might actually be one of the things I would work on her with is like, what is your 
social mm-hmm. network like? You know, like, can we explore the people in your life? Like, what supports are available to you? Like, she has one friend she talks mm-hmm. to at the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie briefly, who is like telling her, like, he's your boyfriend. Like, mm-hmm. he's supposed right. to be there for you. You know, so it's obviously there are other people in her life that do care for her. So she's also a student. So she might, you know, if because her family is now dead, so she can't go to them, like not to be grim, Mm -hmm. but, you know, like they're not there. You know, like, is there an advisor that might be available to her? Is there like someone? Especially if she's studying psychology, I think like Um, there would be people there that like could be more than happy to help her. Like, you know, (laughs) Yeah, don't, you don't have to go to the cult. So <laughs> right, it is interesting mm-hmm. that we don't ever see that friend mentioned again. You know, and I know when I was kind of in right. some of my more toxic relationships, I would kind of avoid those friends, or that's not the validation I wanted. Mm-hmm. That wasn't filling that void that I needed, mm-hmm. so I kept seeking it out. And I think that's yeah. part of just what we were talking about, like conditioning as a woman. Like this is what validate you you know and it's not necessarily a female friendship although Mm -hmm. i think that should be what we're celebrating more than we do but yeah it takes Mm -hmm. time and she's like she's young you know i mean i god like if if that had something like this had happened to me in college i don't know that i would have had many Mm -hmm. trusted people that i could reach out to or tap into for support you know i mean you just there's a lot of transitory relationships and things like that when you're a student and Maybe yeah. not in your home city and, you know, who mm-hmm. knows? Well, and so one of the things we talked about earlier, and I think, yeah. Mike, you said, like, the kinder thing for Christian to do would be to break up with her. But that's what makes him feel like an asshole. And that's one of the things that I really connected with with this movie. Because um, I, I was married before Corey, and we got engaged because I was pregnant, and we were going to... Well, uh, yeah, we were going to get married. And three weeks before the wedding, we ended up losing the baby. And we still, and everybody was like, do you still want to get married? And we did. We still got married. Um, And it was probably, I I hesitate to say that was a mistake because that was just a big life choice. And I'm not sure I'm totally ready to classify it as a mistake. But my rationalization was I had just lost a baby. I wasn't going to lose a husband too. And when I think back, I think it would have been so much better for me to just feel all of that pain then instead of drawing it out. And like, because I wasn't really getting support. And that was part of like, he wasn't in a place that he could support me because he was, well, we'll talk about him probably later in future episodes but that like (laughs) (laughs) um yeah there's a lot of material there but that wasn't so that like what Christian can do that will help is like rip the band-aid off like this is gonna hurt no matter what but it's the right thing to do and this is the kindness and I think people just are so afraid to do that I think people don't have the vocabulary or or necessarily are even equipped to know how to do that or that's 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 an option but go on Rick I'm sorry He's very much a siphon. Mm-hmm. He's not really a fully developed person. Uh, and you see this in, he's in a PhD program and it feels like he's there because it's expected of him. He doesn't have any real direction in the program at all. You see it when he steals Josh's work and Josh yeah. is saying like, look, you knew I was doing this. And Christian ever being like this kind of sociopathic narcissistic person 
he's able to always justify his behavior. He's like, well, you're going to England and Germany too, so why does it have to be all about this place here? So he gives himself like an out at that point. He always makes himself out to be the victim. Later on, when Josh extends an olive branch and is like, hey, what did you happen to find out about what we're here for? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, so now you want to collaborate together? You know, the almost biggest like biggest dick. God. <laughs> and again, and he always has this look on his face like he just drank sour milk. You know what I mean? Yes. Like he'll look at someone or he's like the kid in class who got caught doing something he's not supposed to and he's waiting to see if he's going to get punished. God, and I gotta, I will give shout outs to that actor yeah. because uh, I'm like, I didn't write down his name because I was so focused on not him and then just mm-hmm. seeing him as Christian. But I mean, he does mm-hmm. an excellent job. And he's yeah. what I find really interesting about his performance and the casting is that his face is so angelic. Mm-hmm. He has these enormous blue eyes and there's all these extreme close ups of him just looking like so childlike and lost. And then he's just being this manipulative. So you can kind of see mm-hmm. how you would get like sucked into yeah. thing and like how he's mm-hmm. probably used his his innocent good looks mm-hmm. you know to become the, the this quote-unquote man that he is you know um it, it's a yeah. very interesting performance because there are moments where you what we feel sympathetic for him because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. you know it, and that's all down to that i mean really great performances all around from everyone in this mm-hmm. movie like just yeah really great there's a lack of curiosity in christian that is like really befuddling and you see it like it's not explored deeply in the movie, but there's a couple instances where you see the research that Josh is doing and you see the research that Christian is doing. And Christian's yes. questions are so surface level, mm-hmm. right? Where Josh, Josh is, is real... digging deep and he knows his stuff. And what is the name of the, it's the Asa, I'm trying to think of the name of the. Astrotopev. The... You're talking Wait, about the, the ritual, the... the suicide ritual? The ritual. Yeah. yeah, I could never so, quite get a handle on what the fucking word is because I wanted to Google it and find out if mm-hmm. that was like a real, like, yeah. you know, Scandinavian thing. It is. It yeah. is. The yeah. Atastupa. At, at the Atastupa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So j- when Pele brings it up, like, Chris, Josh knows what it is immediately. Uh huh. Josh yeah. is like, wait a minute, we're really going to see one of those? And his eyes get all big and he's like, he has this huge grin on his face. And then you see Christian break out his phone and mm-hmm. try to Google it, but there's no mm-hmm. reception. He's like, damn mm-hmm. it. So like f- for Christian to be like, oh, I had this idea too. And he doesn't know this, like the basic parts of it. Blatant overall, bullshit. Like, Blatant yeah, bullshit. Like, it's completely well, mind blowing. If, if like your whole life is people like Danny giving you and telling you what you want to hear all the mm-hmm. time, then you don't have to exercise those curiosity muscles, you know? Christian is probably the kind of person who's been told that he's special from like the minute he came out of the womb. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, he's a good looking white boy with, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, stealing the work of Josh, like stealing, Mm -hmm. you know, shitting on Danny. I don't know. He just sucks. That was it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we're right. not fans of that. i had a i had a i had a thought there but it escaped me so i'm just going with christian sucks oh just his name um yep. is interesting like the names in this movie um are interesting because like he names danny danny ardor ardor being you know a fervent love mm-hmm. um and christian sort of representing everything of the in the patriarchy in the western patriarchy you know uh mm-hmm. then you get josh and mark which are i don't know they're biblical names <laughs> i think it all kind of stops it's, it may stop there they all just come from the west 
but and 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 another side note is that I believe I 100% believe Josh is like an anthropology PhD student. But what the hell is Mark doing in this program? He seems to have no interest in it. He's a total bro. Like it makes no sense. I think I don't know that watching this movie for like the fourth or fifth time now, I was like, wait, why is Mark in a yeah. anthropology mm-hmm. PhD? Mark program? is watching this and Prometheus. So I love Prometheus mm-hmm. um, and watching them so close to one another. Like Mark is very much like the um, Holloway character in Prometheus. It's like, yeah, you're technically a scientist, but you're such a bro. Yeah. Like I don't, mm-hmm. you know, know that many bros that would go into anthropology at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 completely befuddling to me. Also, but very funny performance. Uh, from oh, another yeah. actor yeah. whose name I didn't think to write down. That's Will Poulter, I think. Will Poulter, there it yeah. is. Yeah, but everybody in this movie is fantastic. I wrote a thing where I, I think like Christian, obviously, to me, obviously represents like religious patriarchy, and then I think Mark represents like this oppressive misogyny and like objectification of women, and I think Josh kind of represents this. As much as I love him, because I love the good place too, and I just think yeah, his I know Chidi is amazing. Yeah, yeah, Chidi. One of but my I favorite think, characters of all time. <laughs> I know. Oh, he's so great, and he's great in this movie too. But I think he kind of is representing like this academia that can be kind of explaining away rather than mm-hmm. empathizing, because he gives. He's the one who gives her the sleeping pills, which I think is kind of a kindness in the movie. But I think like that's kind of a way of not re- like he's not interested in talking to her at all no really. he's pure intellect i mean you you yeah would, uh, yeah the only moment i don't like him in the movie is when he hears at a stupa and then doesn't think to turn to danny and be like hey maybe you shouldn't go to this because like uh-huh. your whole family got murder suicided like mm-hmm. you know but i don't think it's um intentional it's just he's completely in his own world and into yeah. studying the ritual, which is totally fine. I mean, this is a character who's very earnest, who's very there for one reason, which is to do his fucking, you know, thesis. I, I do like him, though. You know, I, I ultimately too. like that character, but he's the least egregious of the three of also. the men. Right. Yeah. But one of the things I think is so interesting in this movie is um, if you look at the three of them, Josh, Mark, and uh, Christian, and you look at the way Danny is dressed in this movie, like she is mirroring so much. Like I think her clothes kind of say a lot about her personality and her arc in the movie because we said she wasn't sexualizing, but she's not really, other than the color, she's not wearing feminine clothes either. You know, Mm -hmm. she's very, like they all kind of look like they're wearing the same color palette a lot of times. And I think a Mm -hmm. turning point for her is when she puts on, the Hargit dress, you know, and that's kind of the trade-off of the codependent relationship, but it's so notable to me. And her name is masculinized too, you know, it's Danielle, um, Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful feminine name, but could also, she could be called Dan or Danny, you know, and I just think Mm -hmm. that's an interesting choice that he made because she just kind of seems to, like she's, he's a siphon but she's like a sponge you know and yeah. she's just right. like taking everything in and making that her personality like she probably didn't want to go to sweden you know i mean it yeah, would be she, cool but like you know it's she's just kind of going where with the because she doesn't really have a strong sense of identity or anything mm-hmm. she you know it's it's clear she she um decenters herself and everything well do we want to talk about pella at all oh sure. yeah yeah mm-hmm. i just i find him a really interesting character um a very calculating and insidiously, insidiously potentially very bad evil man, but um, mm-hmm. but uh, also 
sympathetic and I, you know, the, the horny part of me wants to see him and Danny get it on, but, um, uh-huh. you know, I, you know, but I am aware of all the ways in which he is problematic. <laughs> so yeah. let's chat. Let's talk pellet. Yeah. Well, speaking of like the cherub innocent face, you know, mm-hmm. that just sucks you in. He's just so kind looking and the way he like, I guess this is another kind of manipulation that we were talking about with Christian. Like he knows what she needs and he's giving it to her, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And he's... I feel like with Pele, it comes from a pure place. And I think that conversation he has about losing his own family mm-hmm. and what it meant to him to, he's like, I have this community. Like I lost, I've never lost my family because this has been my family. And I agree that his actions can be seen as very insidious, but I think they come from a pure motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he's earnest in relating to her and and, care, mm-hmm. and on some level. I think I think he's in love with her. I think he is from the get-go. If you look at the very opening image of the movie, it's this this sort of triptych or four-panel thing of of the seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And but it's clearly like supposed to be Danny and um, Christian at the center of it. And in the second panel for spring, you see Pella there in the background drawing, and he's watching her. Mm-hmm. And then he's, you know, and then every, there's a lot of like people on the, on the internet that have done like, you know, on like Reddit or whatever, where it's like, you look at any scene that is in, that has Danny and Pella in it. And he's watching her every single moment about, and his mm-hmm. eyes are on her in every scene. And it's like, there's like a Reddit thread of like screen grabs of it. And you're like, Ugh! like, it's like one of those things like you don't see until it's like there and hidden in plain sight, you know? So I, I do, but then you could read it as he's in love with her. Or you could read it as she's the perfect mark for genetic diversity that they need in their inbred you know cult family or whatever you know Mm -hmm. like because that's Mm -hmm. what he's he's out hunting for for sacrifices and for new blood you know so you could read it both ways um yeah i would like to read it as as love and not you know as something predatory but i think Mm -hmm. that that tension is there you can love someone and still be very manipulative of them, manipulative of them, and you can feel like you know what's in their best interest much more than they know what's in their best interest mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. And it can be every bit as much of a dangerous, a dangerous component overall as well. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's I fair. see him kind of representing the Harga, and I think, like, I think he does love her. I think he just has a different understanding of what love means Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's just more of a cultural understanding like his understanding is we lived this great life and we're 72 and now we're our gift of love is this sacrifice and that's just not something we really understand as love i think we see it more sinister and i'm not saying I'm not really making a judgment on that, but I just think mm-hmm. it's just kind of, he is coming from a different perspective that we, yeah. that's not the way our society really operates. And there's also that moment during the Antistupa that I think sums up the problem with Christian and Danny's relationship where the priestess looks at them and she's describing the couple that is sacrificing themselves and says, we're, choosing when we want to end things and rather than rather than have an end that is full of pain and suffering and misery we are choosing to go out when we want to we're embracing our end we are 
saying that we are the masters of our own destiny. Why do we want to just hang on just for the sake of hanging on? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you could like shine a big light over Danny's head over at that point. Like it's almost at that point where she's like, huh, I wonder if what else that could refer yeah. to. Oh boy. Uh, what be. else should have so, ended in the, you know, not mm-hmm. 23rd season or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I found a quote from Ari Ari Aster that says, um, what does it mean? Because he wrote this when he was in the middle of a really rough breakup. Mm -hmm. um, And that's what kind of drove this movie. And so he said, uh, what does it mean to sacrifice things that matter to you in order to be in a relationship with someone else? And it's a cheeky way of getting at these questions you find yourself asking when you're considering what keeps a relationship alive. Like what is like when I think back to my like we probably shouldn't have gotten married. We should have just ended that at that point. But it's so hard to go through the Mm -hmm. motions of that breakup you know and it's just kind of easier especially when you're in pain it's easier just to kind of keep keep floating along you know oh yeah right it takes work i think yeah at that moment too she gains a little bit of understanding for her sister Mm -hmm. when when danny is watching this and when she dreams about it Mm -hmm. excuse me later on you can see her sister often appear in these dreams or there's a moment mm-hmm. where it looks like the 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 danny and the woman who sacrifices herself like a second before, before it, it even happens, happens. Grabs, like grabs she Christian's arm. Yeah. yeah has an understanding of what's coming and you can almost see her in a way forgiving her sister for her action of like taking her own life at that point i think what mm-hmm. complicates things is that her sister took others with her yeah. and that's what makes it a much more complicated act people that weren't really privy to that decision overall and you know weren't giving their own consent at all to be a part of that but she can maybe have a better understanding of why her sister did what she did 100 percent. i think yeah consent may be another theme that is Mm -hmm. sure um relevant in this movie and relevant to relationships in general yeah it's a complicated one and and, uh Mm -hmm. very complicated in this movie i don't know mike did you have thoughts on that that you wanted to bring up (laughs) you don't have to do you consent to having this portion of the (laughs) conversation i i want to pose the question about christian and maja Mm. the Mm -hmm. 15 year old 20 year old in real life 15 year old young woman Mm -hmm. Um, thank god she is 20 in real life (laughs) yeah yes i checked i think 15 well i didn't check but i was reading i think 15 is the age of consent in sweden it is. Yeah. Which well, doesn't bork, make it bork, right. bork to that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll play that game. Now, um, I'm not saying I agree with what. No, we, I continue, know. Continue. I have thoughts about this too, yeah. Just dotting our eyes and crossing our teeth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder if Christian played in the. I'll div- how old is Christian supposed to be? Maybe like 24. Something like that. Yeah. You know, he probably so Googled the age of If he's playing the too. divide by two, add seven, I guess it worked. You know, uh, uh, um, you know he's probably playing that too. <laughs> Yeah. Mark is. Mark's the one so, who's Googling it. Yeah, Mark is definitely like, is this is this cool? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Do you feel Christian's consummation with Maja was a consensual act? <sighs> I... It's not an enthusiastically consensual act, that's for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. This is... Go ahead. You go, you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking about this because it's complicated and it's so easy for me to say... Because I don't like Christian. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, sure. He was asking for it, you know, but then it crosses that line into 
blaming the victim. And I think this is just complicated because I do think he went it like they do ask his consent to mate with her. I think not in so many words, but like he is aware of everything that's going on. I think it's the lack of curiosity we were talking about earlier that keeps him from really thinking through what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and There's, I, yeah. I, it's hard for me to call this a rape, but a rape of Christian. Yes. But yeah. it's, it's, I, this is just really, I'm glad it's, we're talking about this because these are the kind of conversations we need to be having rather than this guy's canceled and that guy's canceled, you know? Yeah. Like, it's where is it's definitely line? an icky territory. I'll put it that it way. Is. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't like if I was in a court of law, I think, you know, there's plenty of, of moments you could point to, you know, if you were, if this was in a court of law and you had the video evidence, which is the film <laughs> mm. um, of Midsummer, you know, I think you could point to, like you said, they have a conversation and then part of it happens off screen um, mm. of what exactly he, ha- you know, discusses with, with the, with the woman, um, the, the elder sort of priestess character. And he knowingly takes the sort of hallucinogenic water. Um, so, cause I think part of the issue of consent here is like, well, he was drugged, right? Like, you know, yeah. he couldn't, he couldn't make, he couldn't make a true consensual decision cause they, they shroomed him. Yeah. He um, yeah. But he did knowingly take the drugs and, you know, he did knowingly get up and walk the, the flowered path to the room. Um, where he got further, you know, smoke blown into his face and all this. But the whole situation is one where he has been manipulated to this yes. this moment. It's definitely not cool. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not something I'd say like, yeah, that was like a totally normal sexual experience that right. I signed up for. They've it's been very predatory. I, it is. And everything that you could you could make an argument that everything including Danny's decision to you know, sacrifice Christian at the end of the movie is non-consensual yeah. um, because they've been manipulated into this very, you know, bizarre situation um, and plied with drugs and, and, you know, put into kind of an otherworldly atmosphere. So I don't really know. I, I think it's definitely an icky territory and definitely not cool. Um, yeah, that's my, mm-hmm. my verdict. No. <laughs> yeah. So I gave this one a lot of thought and I've definitely read articles where they say like christian was raped and he's a victim he's the victim because he was drugged and not of this proper mind and i really disagree with it i don't think this is a situation where it's like well what were you wearing or why did you drink that you shouldn't have put yourself in that situation i don't think it's that kind of situation with him and the evidence i'd use to support it is just Going back to when, just when the idea is first floated, when Pele tells Christian, hey, my sister, like, she's interested Mm -hmm. in you. And she's of age. And his reaction is not, uh, dude, it's your sister and she's 15 and that's fucking Mm -hmm. gross. Or even like, let me introduce you to my girlfriend, Danny, of four Mm -hmm. years who's come on the trip. He never pushes back. His answer is the redhead. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's basically looking around at that point. When he's confronted by the priestess, who basically tells him, like, you are here to fuck Mm -hmm. Maja. Like, that's your goal. Like, you are to plant your seed in her. And he doesn't push back at all. Like, he doesn't even get mock offended. He's just like, I think I ate one of her beauty. Right, yeah. which is like, played for comedy, like, and it is a funny line, but it's also like, dude, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Right. 
And he's contemplating the offer. Given Christian's history with Danny, and it's said early in the movie that he's like sexually unfulfilled by yeah. Danny. They plant um, those seeds too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they do. Really <laughs> early on. And like even Mark even says at one point, like you could be getting that waitress mm-hmm. pregnant if you which is the fucking yeah, grossest line. I know. It's such well, a bad it's, line. Mark is just a despicable um, human. <laughs> he's yeah. so bad. You see Christian's ability to gaslight Danny over and over mm-hmm. again giving the pretense that he's doing the right thing or or holding it against her that his intentions are less noble. Yeah. When he's given that spring water, he asks, like, what will this do? And they basically tell him, if you drink this, like, you will have no inhibitions and you'll pretty much do whatever you mm-hmm. want. And he turns it down once and they give it back and he's like, okay, and he just drinks <laughs> it mm-hmm. at that point. And he also, after he drinks it, he sees Danny getting all this attention. She's being embraced by the community. And he's completely isolated at that moment. He's completely an afterthought. I think he even asks the person next to him, like, what's going and on? Claps. And the dude shuts Yeah, the guy claps. He's like, yeah, he why did you do that? I'm so him. high. To yeah. me, uh. Christian drinks that knowing that he's going to have an out. And, like, to mm. your point, Lara, like, you can see an, an alternate cut where later on Danny confronts Christian and he makes her himself out to be mm-hmm. the victim. And Danny apologizes to him for thinking that he would ever yeah, do Yeah, they gave like me that. drugs and I, I, I had to do it. Yeah. I felt like they, they, might kill, they might kill me if I didn't, if I didn't do mm-hmm. it, Danny. And right. she's like, oh, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, Christian, baby. Mm. To me in that moment... Christian is taking that so he can give himself an out later on. And I kind of feel like he's in a way trying to get back at Danny. Like this will show you, you know, withholding sex Mm. for me and you are an afterthought on this trip. And now everyone loves you and nobody gives a shit about me. So how am I going to get back at you? I'm going to like get back at you by doing one of the most hurtful things that I can think of Mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. So I just like didn't see him as a victim at all. Like I just saw this as another dick move in his heart. I'm, I'm sorry. I just say I really mm-hmm. like that reading because that makes me feel better about <laughs> yeah. being we can angry all, with him. <laughs> we can all go back to hating Christian. I, mean, I was going to say that I think both can be true. I honestly mm-hmm. do. I think yeah. that he mm-hmm. could have. Sure. I think that even if he if he wasn't high, he would have found some way to 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 have sex with Magia. Like, I think mm-hmm. he would have, mm-hmm. he was planning to do it, given the opportunity, sober or not sober, he totally would have, because he wanted mm-hmm. to, and ultimately Christian does what he wants and figures out a way to justify it later. Mm-hmm. However, I think the situation mm-hmm. is icky, and they are, they do victimize him, because they're planning to fucking kill him. Like, I mean, like, let us not forget no. what, what these people brought them there for, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think both, I, I do think both things can be true. Yeah. I used to watch, mm-hmm. there was this VH1 show about Danny Bonaducci, which is probably <laughs> sounding like a really dumb reference, but it, um, he, it was him as a grown up and like a reality show with him and his wife. And they were in couples therapy and he was a recovering alcoholic and he would, but he would struggle with his sobriety and he and his wife had like a really troubled relationship. And so uh, setting all of this like season long dynamic up, like, he would take a pill that would make him really physically ill when he drank alcohol because he knew if he got drunk, like he would cheat on his wife. That was one of the things that he constantly did. And there was a moment where they were having couples therapy and the therapist looked at him and said, 
oh, you probably forgot to forgot to take that medicine because you knew that was a way that you could get drunk and cheat on your wife. And mm-hmm. just the mm-hmm. look in his eye when that realization that everybody knew that that's what he was intentionally doing just still gives me chills mm-hmm. when I think about it because it's just this level of manipulation yeah. that I think is what we were talking about with Christian. And so now yeah. that you're saying it that way, I definitely can see it. Like he's setting himself up to traumatize her in two ways because he's going to make her feel guilty about, because when you make yourself the victim, you make Danny the bad guy, you know? Yes. And so there's that level right. of traumatizing her in that way as well. Like not only does she have to deal with the pain of seeing this thing and feeling abandoned, but also feeling like it was her fault. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that again, I do think, I do think both parties here are, are somewhat complicit and, you know, it gets into all the, all the ways that we lie to ourselves and all the ways that we mm-hmm. subconsciously or like semi-consciously make decisions and let ourselves do naughty things, you know, with uh, while being able to rationalize it away. Um, I also do think that this cult, if Christian or the person who, if some other guy was on the trip and he was an astrological match in their belief system for this girl they would have found a way to like get his seed and get her pregnant. Like they yeah. would have raped him. They mm-hmm. would have done anything really to make mm-hmm. it happen. So he, I'm not going to let them off the hook completely, but Christian fucking sucks and is a dick yeah. hole. And he's, <laughs> you know, he, he is both victim and victimizer in this movie and you can be both. Yeah, that's true. Well, and Absolutely. I want to talk about Maja's consent also, not probably not to the same extent, but it is interesting because she does not ever give consent. Pele gives consent for her, like on her behalf, based on her age. And that really, I didn't notice it the first time, but the second time it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and it reminded me of the Olsen twins and there was like this countdown clock to when they turned 18. I remember the countdown clock vividly. Yeah. And I just, I think at the time, I think I was just kind of in a way different mind frame, but now I think back and that that's so gross. And I want to say that too, because just because you're legally of age to consent does not make you inherently consent you know it's like the the you know yeah you're not emotionally necessarily ready and here you get into the flip the dark flip side of this society where all decisions are made collectively Mm -hmm. um you know it's like oh yeah that seems real great when you're feeling sad and need a group of women to cry with but it gets real weird when um everyone has decided now is time to fuck and right. you are on the floor surrounded by your nude women that were just crying with you, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I like that part of it. but mm-hmm. you know? Well, and there's this la- level of like, we need children. And so you are the vessel through which we get those children. And they didn't ask her if she consented. This is just what is expected of her. And, and just one other problematic side note with this, with this commune or whatever you want to call it, um, is that they go outside to, to, both find people to sacrifice and for genetic diversity. However, mm-hmm. they will intentionally inbreed to develop oracles. And they mm-hmm. also, everyone yeah. there is blonde or, you know, Scandinavian or Aryan looking. You notice mm-hmm. that they, they sacrifice all the people of color that are on the trip and only breed with Christian and I'm assuming Danny mm-hmm. that they welcome into the fold. So there's mm-hmm. definitely a bizarro, like Aryan, like, you know, occult roots of Nazism kind of vibe that I'm getting from this place. And I don't think it's fully explored in the movie. And if I had 
one criticism of it is that they, you know, they set all this stuff up and then you're like, oh, you didn't really delve into some of the more problematic aspects of this cult. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. I do think it's there and it's weird and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I I read Connie and Simon getting sacrificed because Pele's brother was rejected by yep. her. Oh, like, yeah. He says. But we were dating. You know, like, oh, yeah, we were dating. I and she's like, what? We were, we were dating? He's like, oh, we were on mm. a date. But now we're friends. And I think from the moment she rejected him for Simon, like their fate yeah. was sealed mm-hmm. at that point. Like that was his way of getting, how dare you yeah. reject me? Oh, yeah. That's interesting. This movie has that is an levels. interesting. <laughs> I know. It's well, really a movie we could yeah. we could really um, like go on about. For, and I could go on about for a long time as I already oh, I have. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to think like there are a couple of things that I do kind of still want to talk about because we mentioned gaslighting. Um, and that's something I think we're probably going to talk about a lot in our next episode, but we do see a lot of gaslighting in this movie. And I just kind of wanted to touch on that because that is a, a big form of the manipulation we see in this movie. It's not really physical manipulation. It's mental, you know, and I think it's something that happens that, I would say almost all of us experience daily to some degree. And it's just, I think an interesting thing to point out so that you can start to kind of be aware of when you are being gaslit or when you are unintentionally gaslighting other people. Cause I think sometimes you don't necessarily know you're doing it. You're just going by these patterns that are just accepted part of our like discourse with each other, you know? Um, so Mike, I kind of wanted to ask you what exact, do you, do you have a definition for gaslighting or what, what is that? I do not have maybe the clearest definition, but I see it as like lying to a person by making them believe, believe what they know is not actually Mm. true. Basically trying to like falsely shift someone's perspective at that point to make them question and doubt Mm. themselves. Yeah, and it and it comes from the movie Gaslight, which stars a very young Angela Lansbury, and it's from like 1940-something, mm. um, and it's all about a husband who slowly drives his wife insane by, by making her think she's insane, and she's not mm-hmm. insane, you know, it's that's kind of the whole point, is, and that's where that, that term comes from, and it was popularized coincidentally uh, in 2016 during the, the, mm. the you know, the, the uh, election of Trump, really, because he was... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I that to me at least I don't know if that's like true, but I bet you could like do a Google Analytics search, you know, uh, for the term gaslight and watch it go from almost no usage to like a ton of fucking mm-hmm. usage in 2016. Right. Um, but it's it's definitely a phenomenon that you see in these kind of relationship dynamics where one can you know and. and so you could do it as dramatically to the degree as you see in the film Gaslight, where that's the like linchpin on which the whole premise rests, to as subtly as it manifests in this movie, which is the you know no 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 I'm I'm just gonna leave no 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 yeah. I, the, the 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 you could it's two months not three months and we're not going to China we're not, you know focusing on the wrong details until the mm-hmm. point where you go oh no it was me I'm sorry yeah uh, you basically yeah. just wear someone into exhaustion to the point where like what they know to be true and what their eyes and ears are telling them they don't trust them anymore because they're just completely worn down to a no and i guess i do see christian doing that with (laughs) um 
Yeah, like, oh, oh, you're right. You're always right. Like, that's the way our relationship works. And I've you've corrected me so many times that I've just started to internalize that. Um, that mm -hmm. mm, that's such a like a sinister <laughs> thing that. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's so it's one of those things like where you can then never win an argument because it's always no, 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 that's not your uh -huh. I'm not doing that. You're doing that. And then it's like, I know you are. But what am I? And it's just like you. the only thing you can do is fucking get out and walk away. When yeah, that shit starts I don't really know of another way to do it because you, you get to the point where you don't trust your own eyes or your own feelings. And that is such a big mm -hmm. part of abuse is like, no, this doesn't hurt. You know, no, I'm the one who's wrong. Yeah. And I'm the one who can fix it. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. there, another thing I wanted to talk about was kind of what a relationship would be like after one of the partners experiences this kind of trauma, like this level of trauma, because one of the things I connected with Danny a lot was like the guilt of how much of a burden she felt like in this relationship. And like, we kind of talked about that with codependency, but like what, Aside from breaking up with her, what is something that Christian could have done that would have been more supportive for her, you know? And I understand Christian, like, being tired, you know? Because that is a heavy burden to carry. That's something I'm always, just because of a lot of the baggage that I have with me, that's something I'm always kind of getting in my head about is, am I going to push everybody away? Um, am I worth, oh, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and like, am I worthy of this support? You know, so, and that what keeps me from actually asking for it. But um, yeah, so I don't know if anybody has any thoughts about that. I think one of the things Christian could have done to have been a better partner is to very early on establish some boundaries with Danny in terms of what he was capable of and what he didn't feel that he would be able to give to her. And he could clearly communicate that so the expectation was set. Instead of doing that, he basically just moped or made her feel like her feelings didn't matter at all. Setting a boundary with someone isn't saying that your feelings don't matter. Setting a boundary is saying, this is what I'm capable of doing. If I try to do more, I'm going to end up hurting you and I'm going to end up hurting myself in the ways that I could support you. I wouldn't be able to do at that point. Sing it to the rafters. God, setting boundaries is so important. No. So important. So there are things you could do, you know, your boundaries are set on what your own values are, what's important to you um, and what you're cap what you know you're capable of giving someone. If Danny was blowing up his phone early in the relationship, every time her sister would manipulate Danny and send her into a panic, it would have been okay for Christian to say, instead of saying, this is what she does to you, she's just mm -hmm. crazy, it probably doesn't mean anything, and she's going to do it again. If he were able to say, like, I'm not comfortable about talking about this with you because, like, mm -hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Um, it seems like it's a really hard situation for you, but I don't know how to help you with it. Or, you know what, like right now, there's this thing that I'm doing that I need to do for myself, but maybe we could return to talk about it at this time. Yeah. But I can't do this right now for you. Like being able to very clearly set up like this is what he's capable of doing at that point. And when you do that, you're respectful of the other person. You're not saying like, look, you're just being crazy and I'm tired of it and I'm not going to do it. But you're saying like, 
You're not going to yell. You're not going to put them down. You're not going to give them the silent treatment. But you're firm. But you're respectful of the other person's feelings. And you're willing to compromise. You're willing to say, I'm not able to do this. But tomorrow, why don't we go get a coffee together? And you tell me how your sister's making yes. you feel for an hour. Yes, we have to carve out time for this because, you know, and then mm. if Danny had then gone on to continue blowing up his phone at like 2 a.m. or whatever mm. because the sister isn't responding to the email, then he would be in his justified in saying mm. like, you know, I don't, you're not being cool about this, Danny, like you yeah. need to break mm. up, you know, or like this, you have mm. violated my boundaries because I have gone through that in my personal life where so, like I set out a very clear boundary and then the person just continued to push and push and violate it until mm. the point where I had to be like, hey, I made this very clear and you're not respecting mm. it. Goodbye. Good for you. Um, and then they proceeded right. to stalk, oh, to stalk me. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> you know, uh, relationships are so fun. Mm. Dating rules. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Yeah. I had a thought and I totally <laughs> lost it. I'm sorry. I yeah. Um, yeah. I think that like you, you have to be very careful about your own boundaries. And I think part of the key is that is setting that boundary before she is spinning, you know, because that's when like, it's hard yes. to hear that as I'm terrible and you don't want to spend time with me rather than I need to take this time for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about too, speaking of like blowing up your phone and this is a little outside of our um, toxic abusive relationship, but I did not want to let it go by before I mentioned this is Mark talking about her calling him as abusive and saying, doesn't she have a therapist? Can't she just call her therapist? And I just want, I think that's a misconception about therapy Mm -hmm. and I just didn't want to let it go by because it really bothered me. My therapist has said to me, Um, don't feel bad about calling me. I will manage my own boundaries. I will respond when is okay for me. And that was such a huge relief for me to hear because there were times when I texted her about like changing an appointment and I really had a lot of anxiety about it. Like, is it okay? Is it, am I breaking some kind of like rule? And her telling me that was huge. And I've also had moments of crisis when I, could not get in touch with a therapist I was going to earlier and I had another number that I called. And so I just want to say like therapists are not available 24 seven for you to call. And because Amen. you're going to therapy, <laughs> that does not solve all of your problems. And that doesn't mean, uh, Oh, it's fine. She's got a therapist. Like she doesn't need anybody else in her life to support her because she's in therapy. You know, therapy for most people I would say is once yeah. a week for an hour. If, and that's frequent, right. therapy, yeah. you know, the best advice I got early in my internship, I was working with a young woman who there were a lot of difficulties there, and she wasn't the most engaged in her therapy either. And I felt like I was taking it all in, and I really wanted to help her. And I had two other counselors like see me, and they said, dude, you're like so unimportant to your clients. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you are 45 minutes of one day of a seven day week. Think of how many more Mm -hmm. hours there are in a week at that point. Like you are this little tiny part of their life. So that was like the best advice I got that at that point was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you're right. You know? Um, And it made me realize like, I can't take more in than my client can take on. And I can't work harder than my client. I've heard it put another way. 
in a class where one of our professors was relating what she heard another counselor say to their patients. They told them right out, like, when you leave, I forget about you. Like, you have my complete undivided attention and support when you're here in the room with me. But the second you go, like, I move on. Like, you're responsible Mm -hmm. for yourself at that point. Um, And it's really harsh. um, And it's probably not something that I would be comfortable doing quite yet. Because I don't feel like I'm at that level yet. But it makes a lot of sense. And also, like, like you said, like, a therapist is not a be-all end all Mm -hmm. for a support system like we all have like our partners our children our friends our family our co-workers people that in some way shape or form offer us like and fill the social and emotional um, Mm -hmm. needs that we have going to see a therapist doesn't mean that like you're going to be quote unquote fixed and that's all you need to do it's a lifelong it's, uh, yeah. effort of learning and, and mm-hmm. therapists in my mind are kind of like, like guides, you yeah. know, they're teachers. Mm-hmm. And you, just because you yeah. take a class doesn't mean you're an, you know, a doctor, like you took one. Yeah. Medical, yeah. You can still right. fail. You know, yeah. it's, you, you have to do yeah. the work too. Just like a relationship mm-hmm. is a two way street. Therapy is a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. kind of going back to what we were talking about um, with support systems and with Christian, if he had set boundaries, like if Christian set a boundary and Danny was in crisis and had no one else to call rather than Christian, like that's a problem in and of itself, no matter what kind of person Christian is. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot put, and that's the thing codependent people do. You can't put all of your wellness onto somebody else or the responsibility for your well being. Mm-hmm. You have to mm-hmm. be able to spread it around a little bit. And then you don't like get this myopic view of yourself too that I think Danny kind of has. Um, And that's like, I think what I really liked about watching this the second time was viewing the Harga cult through this lens of a support system. And I do still kind of agree with the sinister underbelly of that cult, but I think it kind of represents what a support system could be if it were, if the motivations were more Mm -hmm. like were better, you know, because what they do is they, they acknowledge her pain and they say, it's okay. And we will take this pain with you and we will help you carry it. And that's just, it, it just it fit into this little place in my heart. And I was like, that's what I want. Yeah. Oh, and too. I surround myself with people that minimize my pain, you know? And once it's like, once I met my mm-hmm. husband now, Corey, like he like will listen to me and he'll just kind of sit with me while I'm feeling things. Um, and that's what I think a lot of us are looking for. And I found this um, quote talking, it was talking about family horror in general. Um, and it was called, ter- I will, we can link this, but it's terrifying family trauma is the new thing in horror. But the quote was, um, perhaps what we're witnessing in horror right now is not a commentary on a single anxiety, but a culmination of all the anxieties that exist in culture, the shit that's built up, affecting generation after generation, especially women who've internalized the brunt of trauma for so long and are only now able to channel it, that rage that stems from internalizing trauma, and then in parentheses it says, while coddling men, which I just loved. And I don't want to like generalize <laughs> too much because there are a lot of fantastic men out there, but I just think it's like this buildup, and it finally just kind of explodes, and they are there, and they see it, and they acknowledge it, and they accept it. 
And they also let you burn the boyfriend. And right, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, right or wrong, like that, there's, there's a comfort in that, you know. It's a catharsis. And I, and I honestly, like, I mean, I've talked a lot with my therapists over the years about like why I like horror, because having, trying to be a horror filmmaker and stuff, it's like a big, it's a thing I talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, because then it's like, why do I like horror? And it's like, there's a catharsis in horror. And it's like, it's like what we talked about in our intro episode where like, why do we like this shit in this first, in the first place? And, and this movie is a very, like, I I don't want to say it's on the nose because it, that minimizes it, but it's very like, let me take my trauma and burn it uh-huh. down and fucking burn you. I'm going to burn you in a fire. <laughs> you know, it's very mm-hmm. like, oh my God, like it's just very visceral. And it, it, it encapsulates a lot of why I like horror in general and what it does for you emotionally. And, and it's, that's why this yeah. movie rules. Yeah. In the screenplay, mm-hmm. what talking about her smile at the end, um, I, I'm pretty sure this is from the screenplay, but it says a smile breaks onto Danny's face. She has surrendered to a joy known only by the insane. She has lost herself completely and she is finally free. It is horrible and it is beautiful. And I thought that was just such a perfect right. note to end this film because I don't think like it's we don't know what's going to happen next, you know, and there's like a level of catharsis, but also like it's like when you're free falling, it's like you might have a parachute. It might open. It might not, but at least you're not in that plane anymore. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so I just wanted to see if anybody else, is there, or are there any thoughts that we haven't touched on? You know, you were asking what mm-hmm. Christian can do to be more supportive. And we touched a little bit earlier on what counseling might yes, look like. Please. Can I add a little bit to please that right do. now? Okay. So, all of this boil in a lot of ways it can boil down to like how Mm -hmm. they communicate with one another. And there, to me, there are three types of communication. There's aggressive, there's passive aggressive, and there's assertive. And Mm -hmm. Christian is very passive aggressive, (laughs) you know, like he kind of like hardcore passive, passive aggressive overall uses a lot of you statements, makes himself out to be the victim, makes it seem like he'll go on to get along. But, you know, even the scene where, like, when they first arrive at the encampment and they all, like, all the guys want to take the shrooms and Danny is unsure and he puts her on the spot. He's like, instead of just like, hey, it's cool if you don't, we'll just do it. You can do your own thing. That's totally Mm -hmm. fine. Maybe just watch out Mm -hmm. for us. He's like, oh, I'll wait. And he knows what kind of, like, division that's going to cause at that point. And he Um, plays it like... I'm doing such uh, a nice yeah. thing. Yeah. When he's not, but you know what he really wants to do. So being able to like assert, like assertively communicate their needs and also Danny being able to do this. I think Danny would very often start off mm-hmm. communicating assertively like, Hey, it's really weird to me that you wouldn't tell me about yeah. this trip you're going on. And then she would, he would get mm-hmm. her to back. It's like you can feel the shift. <laughs> I know, um, it just kills know, me, it kills yeah. me. Like, stop, younger right. Jen, stop. So, you know. <laughs> I know, I'm like know. watching myself do this but, shit. Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. I would have them both, like, be able to clearly communicate mm-hmm. what their needs are in that moment. Speak appropriately to one another. Like, avoid you statements. Avoid, like, you're driving me crazy. You need to sleep low. Stop calling me. You need to get over this. Be like, hey, like, I'm feeling right now Mm -hmm. like I'm being a little bit taken advantage of. Or I'm feeling like I'm not being heard in this moment. Or I feel like, 
you know, I statements are much easier for someone to kind of work with because it's not mm-hmm. putting them on the defensive mm-hmm. right away. Think about what you want to say ahead of time. Like sometimes you have to have a hard conversation with your partner and it's okay to not do it in that moment. Maybe you schedule and I hate to say scheduling a fight. Mm-hmm. I hate using the word fight when I'm talking with couples or a person. What I'm trying to get the clients I work with to say is like instead of framing it as an argument, frame it as a way to like learn mm-hmm. more about one another, more about what the other person needs. And it's a learning opportunity as opposed to like an argument where we're going to dig in our heels and someone has the connotations that go with that. Like this could lead Mm -hmm. to a breakup. This Um, could be bad. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't, you know, express your thoughts calmly. Don't give someone the silent treatment. Don't yell. Don't threaten and don't shame the other person. Your emotions. Like when someone says to me, like this person makes me feel so mad I always counter with like that person doesn't or doesn't make mm-hmm. you feel anything. You made yourself feel that way. That person did yeah. something and you reacted to it. No one makes you do anything. Like you feel like you feel. You yeah. own your feelings at that point. Um, and you know, keep in mind that like one of Danny's problems is she always tried to make Christian happy. You are not responsible for another person's happiness. Nor can you make another person happy 100% God, of the yeah. time. Um, I would probably do, if I wanted to learn more about how they communicate, I might do an exercise called back-to-back drawing, where one person's at the whiteboard, um, the other person has their back turned to them, so they don't see one another, and you hand one person like a piece of paper with a shape or a basic design on it, they have to describe it to the person who's drawing and you have to see how close they can come to getting what the Mm. person's describing up on the board. Uh, And it Mm. can be really insightful. Like you can, you know, what steps do you use to make sure the instructions are clear? What's it like not having that immediate feedback if you're Mm -hmm. um, the person talking at that point, you know, so you don't know what they're doing. Um, how is the other person interpreting what instructions you're giving them overall? So those are like little exercises you can do yeah. in couples therapy as well. If um, <laughs> you want to avoid just having two people sit across right. from one or another getting burned and describe in a bear. I, 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 yes, or just the, or bring um, out the, but that's one of the role playing scenarios <laughs> that you do. I, uh, I, I was going to say, I, I went through some couples therapy where we did little things like that. And we also like, had to like look mm-hmm. each other in the eye and then and then repeat back what the other person said and it's like so it's almost like like, like a listening uh-huh. exercise like what I'm hearing you say is that you said mm-hmm. you felt this way this way and this way and then and it's and you have to do that before you can mm-hmm. go on to say mm-hmm. how you're feeling so that it's like and and by saying yeah. it out loud something does kind of cognitively happen where you you do see it from their yeah. POV a little bit more vividly than you mm-hmm. would just by listening and not repeating. And it's, I found that to be really Corey interesting. And I have done that mm-hmm. and that's really helped us a lot because one of the parts of it we do is I, I say a thing and then he says what he heard me say and say, is that right? And then that's my chance to say yeah. kind yes. of, but in it just like as someone yeah. who is afraid lots yeah. of times to say how I feel about things that really made me feel heard you know, and that my feelings are oh, valid. Absolutely. And that was a big game changer for me. 
Um, I have a kind of a fun fact about that. Apparently, when they were prepping for this role, um, I think Jack Rayner is the actor who plays um, Christian. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and, that's his um, name. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Florence Pugh. They they sat down with Ari Aster as their characters, and he was playing a couples therapist. And they kind of just role-played this <laughs> whole thing just to kind of um, – get into this couple dynamics which I would love to see like a special feature of oh god I hope that it that please why do you not film these I things you know I, yeah I want to get I, this is I might now that I have a dvd blu-ray player that works I'm definitely gonna buy this on on blu-ray and I can only hope and pray that that's buried in there <laughs> oh, somewhere cool. now I also like there's yeah. probably a little bit of he's not a therapist and that's there's a specific thing I don't know I don't want to like step on that role or anything or minimize the role a real a couple's therapist would play but I thought that was an interesting way that they got into that those characters I think that that's a thing as like a filmmaker that um you know people don't realize that directors do these kind of weird little exercises and things like the best directors really take the time to have conversations with their actors and sit down and figure out the characters and stuff like that. Like, you know, I mean, that's the difference between an Ari Aster movie and like any other, you know, churn and burn horror movie is like, I don't, I really don't think that like in like insidious four, they're sitting down with the actors and, and going into this depth of, of mm-hmm. character work, you know, and it, and it pays it off. I mean, it pays off by just look at the time signature of this episode so far. Exactly. And I think you'll know <laughs> They approached him, or I can't remember who it was, approached him wanting to do like this type of movie, like a folktale movie. And he's like, I don't know. And then he had this relationship and he said that was his way in. And I think that just it makes such a difference in the story. And that's what I see with Hereditary, too. That movie terrifies me because my heart has already been ripped out emotionally. And so I'm just like wide open for all the scary shit that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at any of his movies mm. on like the surface, they're super mm. derivative, right? Like Hereditary is a movie about like, you know, possession and, and like occult demon summoning and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, everybody gets sacrificed to this thing. And Hereditary, I mean, uh, Midsummer is, you know, uh, a weird cult, like does sacrifices to, to ingenue mm. Americans, you know, or <laughs> it's like, you know, the, that, that shit could be like, if imagine if Eli Roth was directing that, like how different that <laughs> uh-huh. would be. But Ari Aster infuses it with like the real, the good yeah. shit, you know? Right. It would be Rob Zombie's <laughs> Midsummer, <laughs> Where like the Hargo, every mm-hmm. every other line would be mf and the Hargo would just right. have like... Yeah, every everything would be like, you hole. know, cleavage mm-hmm. and like, you know, like big braided blonde <laughs> things. Yeah. God, I can't even fathom And I it. say that as somebody who does like his Halloween. I know that's probably a, a unpopular opinion, but yeah. I think we're kind of winding down talking about this, but... We wanted to say, and this kind of going forward into future episodes, there are a lot of other issues related to mental health in this episode. We, as much as I think we could all talk about this for nine hours, like we want to respect your listening ears. And also like we might do future episodes on some of the things we saw. So this is kind of our little, what else did we see in here? uh, Like corner. We're not going to really go deep in it, but we wanted to acknowledge it. And so some of the things we saw, um, Bipolar disorder, um, and there's kind of a problematic, I think, view of that that I think would be an interesting debate down the road that we wanted to acknowledge. Um, there's um, family annihilators are, I, I'm not sure if this would exactly fall under the category of that, but we do see 
something like that mm-hmm. in this movie um, triggers and panic attacks and some of the coping skills we were talking about are something that we see in here. And then Laura, you mentioned in the director's cut, um, mm-hmm. there's some race commentary. Yeah. They're just, it is like a little, it's not very much, but there's enough there for me to be like, Oh, I wasn't just reading this as a person who overanalyzes everything. Like Ari Aster definitely intended to have a little bit of a conversation about race and racism in here. And especially as it exists in like Scandinavian culture and folklore. Um, But it's, it's only lightly touched on, but I think that there's, as I referenced earlier, I think there's something there and some, and a conversation to be had. Um, but I'm not going to get into it now. (laughs) Was there anything else that anybody else saw in this? I'm interested in where you saw bipolar. Mm. The sister, uh, at the beginning, they mentioned that she has bipolar disorder. Yeah. She has bipolar. Okay. Mm. Okay. I thought you were referring to Danny and I just didn't see any signs of mania. Okay, so no, she says like I think she says something to Christian like she's not doing it to me. She has, yeah. she's bipolar or something like that, right. and uh, okay. and then he's like, oh, I know, mm-hmm. baby, and just gets all his Christian <laughs> self all over. <laughs> Sorry, I'll. No, I'll stop think it's warranted. That. I think it's alright. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll and stop. Th- those are things that we could talk for hours about, but we just didn't want to let them go by without mentioning them. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Acknowledged. Yeah, seen and acknowledged. Exactly. Um. All right, so moving into what other movies do we see this in? And we're just kind of, we're not going to, along the lines of what we just talked about, we're not going to go in depth into these movies. But if this is a theme that you connect to and you want to seek more out, what are some movies that we also see these kind of toxic relationships in? So I put down the first two paranormal activity movies mm-hmm. because, you know, Mika especially is someone <laughs> who. Uh, doesn't respect Katie or her boundaries. And I, mm-hmm. Meek is not nearly as bad as... It's funny because, like, in some ways, Meek is much worse because he's so <laughs> overt. But mm-hmm. part of me just thinks Meek is really dumb. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's uh, where Christian kind of knows what he's doing. And mm-hmm. then the dad in part two never takes his, like, young wife's point of view serious at all. And mm-hmm. then he transfers the demon from his wife to her sister. Um, So he's really a piece of shit at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I love both of those movies and I definitely see a lot of that in there. Yeah. I, I wrote misery and this is, I think it's, there's a, it's a little more overstated in misery, but that's definitely like, a codependent relationship Mm -hmm. and there's the playing along so that the other person will Mm -hmm. be happy. I think Paul is just so much more aware of that's what he's doing. And there's Mm -hmm. so, because he has so little control because he's trapped. Uh, But there's a moment in that movie where like it crosses the line of, I'm not playing along anymore. That always creeps me out. Mm -hmm. And there's the shining. Yeah. You know, if you're looking for a, yeah, yeah, well, that's, yeah, it's, I mean, and the the one that I am thinking about is also more about a marriage, um, which is Possession mm-hmm. from 1981, um, Polish director, I don't <laughs> want to butcher his name, it's Andrzej Zalowski, oh my god, kill me, <laughs> I'm sorry, um, but with Sam, with the very young, handsome Sam Neill and Isabel Adjani, uh, or Adjani, again, mm-hmm. don't know how to pronounce anybody's <laughs> name ever. But yeah, that's a really bizarre movie that is so like you. It's kind of in like a David Lynch, David Cronenberg kind of vibe. There's a lot of like body horror, a lot of really bizarre, over the top acting and stuff. But it really is about 
the whole ways we can be horrible to each other as a relationship mm-hmm. dissolves and it's, it's oh my god it gets so fucking weird i haven't seen it in a long time and it's another one i'd like because i only saw like a terrible print of it once and i would like to get it mm-hmm. on blu-ray or something because it's uh it's one of those movies i want to recommend to people and want to mm-hmm. get them to watch but it's not like on streaming mm-hmm. anywhere um that i've found it may be for able to, you may be able to like purchase it for streaming on amazon i'm not sure mm-hmm. but the last time i looked for it i could not find it fucking anywhere and it's like one of those movies I just want to share with everyone because not enough people have seen it. And it's like, it's so, it's such a good movie. If you want like a really odd parallel to, to this movie, this just popped into my head, but Joe Dante's The Howling, where mm. you have this couple where like the mm. wife experiences this extremely traumatic event at the beginning of the movie. They travel off to visit this like cult and the husband yeah. is sexually unfulfilled and he completely is just done with his wife. Basically, he doesn't understand what she's going through. He doesn't seem to care whatsoever. Um, and he basically just kind of gives in to uh, the female kind of cult leader at that point, And they have werewolf sex. Mm. So there's uh, a lot less, <laughs> lot do. less werewolfing in this movie, but overall, like you, it's an odd parallel uh, to this. Interesting. Yeah, I that is. It's been too long since I've seen the Howling, but my it's God, so you're right. Good. Yeah, <laughs> Howling is so good. I need to check that one out. I love anything Joe Dante. So yeah. I mean, you know, it's that's that's a lot more of a fun movie to watch than either Midsummer <laughs> or Possession. Possession is is similarly cerebral and like mm-hmm. intense. <laughs> well, and on that note, and now for an uplifting moment. <laughs> we want to kind of wind down by bringing us up because we've talked about some hard things and in the future we're going to be talking about some uh, difficult things to kind of process so we wanted to talk about grounding or coping techniques and our self-care and last time I think I kind of split those up and I think maybe this time we'll just kind of go around and talk about both things at one time I think that will kind of sag into each other yeah. yeah. So, um, Laura, what's up with your grounding and coping or self-care? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Don't sorry. go to me first for this right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm honest to God, guys. I'm, like, struggling so hard with this shit right now just because everything's been so awful in the world. And I've just, like, not been doing the work that I need to do to, like, ground or cope. Um, I'm still doing the thing that I do every every day where I write down what I did manage mm-hmm. to get done. Um, I'm trying to, uh, you know, because of, of COVID, I, I, I used to go and get like these sort of like very painful massage type treatments to deal with some of my chronic pain issues. And so I have been forcing myself, uh, and obviously I can't do that because, you know, uh, we're all going (laughs) to die. Um, but so, you know, so I, in order to deal with like the back and neck pain that I, that I have, um, I've been making myself do these like YouTube stretching videos and then integrating deep breathing into that, um, which has been helping keep the pain at bay. But like, I have not been taking good care of myself. Um, and I, I turn to either of you to please God, tell me how to do that. (laughs) So I, Put to, I looked up like what is one of the uh, coping techniques I use with clients right now. And this is one that I pulled from a book called The Invisible Toolbox, Coping Skills for the Everyday Resilience by Dr. Michael Milio. And it's called Deep Relating. And it's kind of like, it to me, it, it um, really kind of fit in with what this movie was all about right now. So Deep Relating is basically the ability to tell like somebody what you're going through. 
Ideally, it would be your partner or like a really close friend of yours. Uh, it gives you the opportunity to just kind of unload on someone for a little bit about some of the things you're struggling with right now. And the idea is not that they're going to fix you. Like, and I think it's really clear, like, you don't want someone who's going to be like, well, have you tried this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Like, that doesn't help. That just makes it more frustrating for the person at that point. Um, and I think it's really important when you're doing this, like you're really upfront. You're saying, hey, I want you to know, like upfront, I don't want advice. I just need someone to listen to me right now for a few minutes. Can you do that for me? And respect their answer. Sometimes they'll say like, nah, I re- I'm not in a place where I can do that and respect that. But if there are like, you know, set a time frame and a limit and be gracious and have gr- show them some gratitude. But it just gives you a chance. Like you were saying right now, like everyone is going through some really serious shit right now. And like every email I get from people right now, like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't get back to you. I'm just going through a lot right now. It's like no shit. Like, please don't apo- don't apologize right now. Um, so having a person like a really good friend or a family member or a loved one, or you can just say like, I just need you to listen for like five minutes. Can you do that for me? Um, is what I would use. And that's not therapy. It's just kind of the act of kind of like venting. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause sometimes you do, you just want to, to have a, that catharsis yeah. lest, you know, you to burn someone in a bear suit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, one of the things I've been doing in the last couple of weeks um, that I love is um, I've been doing morning pages, which I think is like a writing tool, which is like you just take three pages in the first, you're supposed to do it first thing in the morning, and I'm giving myself grace for not, but um, you just write three pages and it's stream of consciousness. Nobody's going to see it. It doesn't matter. It's just the habit of, and like it's supposed to be in longhand. And I say supposed to be, it can be whatever you want. This is the way I'm doing it. But it's at first my hand hurt. (laughs) And, uh, but now I find like the fact that it's three pages means by like about page and a half, I'm over the fact that I'm writing and I'm like connecting my, my my brain and my hand are connecting. And it's just Mm -hmm. kind of become this dump of like these thoughts are getting out and I I know nobody's gonna see them but I can show them if I want to and it's like the physical act of writing it out is helping me a lot too Uh, my therapist talks about like there's this physical part of you that like the motion helps and I think the actual writing down and like what we're doing right now we are using our bodies to talk about this stuff and it's there's a catharsis in that too I I fully believe in the power of like writing things by hand, especially because we so much of our experience is mediated by screens, especially Mm -hmm. right now. Um, Like I really, really have had much more success with exercises like that by writing them by hand. And even, and there's something that helps you internalize it. Like there are studies that say like writing things down by hand helps you remember stuff more, like helps you remember Mm -hmm. internalize information. So if you're doing that in an emotional way i imagine that there is something there's like a feedback loop that happens so i'm down yeah yeah i'm loving it my hand's not hurting as much either (laughs) i'll often write things out by hand in my writing first before i type it up like that's my first draft because like it i can write faster than i can type and sometimes what happens when i'm trying to type is like i'd lose whatever that next thought was going to be so when I write it out by hand, I can kind of keep up with myself at that point. 
Interesting. And then I'll just go back and write it up. And I find like it, and I feel like you said more connected at that point. Mm -hmm. Like there's something about physically putting the ink to the page. I think that kind of like connects the dots a bit better for me overall. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Mike, what kind of self-care or grounding are you using right now? So for myself personal, there's one I literally just started today that I won't talk about yet. I want to see if it's successful. Um, so stay tuned. But I've I've stayed tuned. Um, and if it never comes up again, you know that it hasn't. Um, but I've been trying to set aside time to read, mm. like 20 to 30 minutes a day. I subscribe to something called Scribid. It's pretty much Netflix for books and audiobooks. 100%. Where there's literally... Mm hundreds of thousands of like every Stephen King book and audio book is up there. There are ton of counseling books that are up there. So I've got all of these things that are saved. So it's less than the price of like audible mm. would be. And it has almost as big of a selection. Really? So I've been using that. And please tell me it's not owned by Amazon nope. so that I it's can It's not, it's not, <laughs> oh, yeah. you can, if you have a Kindle, you can like, backdoor put the app on your kindle but yeah it's not owned by it's a competitor to amazon mm. basically um okay. I'll subscribe yeah, then. 10 bucks a month um i'll send you the link because then i'll get a free month <laughs> so yes please. i would say like it's been a godsend because i have all of these books that are in there and i've been reading because i'm trying to read more books by um is it bipoc am i saying that correct i don't oh, know the... i don't know i I don't, I don't know how to say it uh, out loud, but I, yeah. I support it. Yeah. So we're talking about like, black yes, by... indigenous people mm -hmm. of color. Yes. Yes. Which is, I yep. think, becoming so the I've, preferred yes. term. So I've mm -hmm. been using, I've read like two books by like Sarah Farizian, who's this Iranian author that wrote two young adult books about being um, queer in, in one set in Iran, one set in the States mm. and the very distinct challenges that come from that, both like in Iran, mm -hmm. like being put to death if you're found mm -hmm. out that you're gay. Right. In the States, like just the um, pressure that's put on you from your family and coming out. And she's an amazing writer. And uh, I think one of the books is like, Tell Me How a Crush Should Feel, mm -hmm. which I would recommend to anyone if you want like a really good book to read, along with all the other counseling that stuff. That sounds right awesome. Now, so. so what are you doing, Jen, for self -care? What am I? Well, I, speaking of audiobooks, I just started listening to Firestarter again. I mm -hmm. love audiobooks I think like I love the physical act of reading in my the book in my hands but I just am busy and it's it's like mm -hmm. somebody's telling me a story and there's a soothing quality yeah. to it like I can get depending on the voice sometimes I get like an ASMR kind of reaction sometimes and mm -hmm. I just I love Firestarter so much I feel, I'm kind of thinking through writing something about how it's like a representation of female anger you know and mm -hmm. so that's been kind of my self-care um, that I've kind of stepped away from some podcasts that aren't like my beloved podcasts that I will die for and just kind of just kind of stepped back a little bit and kind of gone into a story that I know there's a comfort because I know everything that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's mine. Yeah, I um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and just there was like one day last weekend where I sat and watched three movies that. I, you know, I just like, I don't know, I just back to back marathoned um, some movies, mm -hmm. two of which ended up un unwittingly being about um, like horror movies about like genetic mutations, which were um, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. the Relic and Annihilation with Natalie Portman. The mm -hmm. Relic, 
for good for like a 90s movie set in Chicago, which was the main reason I wanted to watch it. It all takes place, like most of it takes place in the Field Museum of Natural History here, which was fun for me. And then, um, you know, but it's problematic in the ways that a movie from the 90s is going to be problematic. <laughs> but then the the much better movie, Annihilation, um, which was also just ruled. And, and listening to podcasts, I've been listening to one called You're Wrong About. That's really, really mm. smart. Um, two really smart people just deconstructing popular conceptions of lots of different things it goes from like the sex offender database to jessica simpson so like really Mm. wide range of subjects um yeah just you know just taking the time to allow myself to consume content that i enjoy and not feel guilty about it or trying Mm -hmm. not to Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the hard part uh yeah yeah. that's what i'm doing well that's that's great (laughs) Um, one of the things we want to do yeah I think about that sometimes too like as I watch so many things that I'm going to be talking or writing about later and sometimes it's just I just want to watch this thing yeah and I don't want to have to try to figure it out I just kind of let it to let it wash Mm -hmm. over me you know Mm -hmm. and there's kind of a a soothing nature to that um oh yeah so so part of we had a Paul Verhoeven night Uh, I love Paul Verhoeven where we did like oh my god we did we introduced Ada to Total Recall. Mm. So we did like Total Recall, then Starship Troopers, <laughs> then Hollow I, Man mm, in I one night. I was lucky enough to see um, Total Recall at Music Box last year. And um, what's his name? Michael Ironside was in attendance. And he oh, wow. he was such a nice, so he just such a heartwarming man to hear talk. And then I ended up in the line for the bathroom with his like daughter behind me and like said something really awkward to her. Anyway, that's my Total Recall story. <laughs> Um, that movie, there's a garish quality to that. That is so fascinating to me. One of my favorites. Talk about it. I I just love it. I love it. Maybe for a future episode. Mm. Um, well, so we, we've kind of been playing around with the idea of homework and I think we want to know what your self care is. Do you have any, um, any coping or grounding skills that are working for you, um, you can reach out to us. I think hopefully we've set a Facebook group up by now, um, but follow our social channels at, at psycho a pod for more information about how you can interact with us. But we want this to be a conversation. We want to hear from you. We want to know, um, do you agree, disagree? Do you have any common experiences with what we've talked about? And just, you know, what do you think? We want this to be kind of a conversation about the things that we're talking about. Cause that's how we really kind of unpack and like build a support system, which is what we have been talking about. Um, Do we have like a specific question that we can think of, or is it just kind of. So, I think relating to this, I would love to hear from our listeners, like, who makes up their social support Mm. structure? Like, who are the persons that they find, you know? I think that relates a lot to, like, what we've discussed tonight. Like, who are the people that are in that inner circle that you can count on? That's a great question. That's a great question. And then you think, like, you read somebody's answer and you're like, oh, I've got somebody like that in my life. Maybe yeah. I should reach out to that person. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I think it's easy to take that for granted and not really or feel more alone than mm-hmm. you are. And then remembering, yeah. oh, I need to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. It is a two-way street, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I struggle with that yeah. for sure. So that's a great question. Especially now. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. So follow our socials, um, Psycho A Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Twinstagram. The Twinstagram. Oh, I like that. Um, so to kind of close out this discussion, which I had so much fun with, and we were talking earlier, like 
I had such an emotionally draining day. Um, and I was a little nervous because this is such a heavy movie, but I feel so like energized mm -hmm. after this conversation. Like it, I just, this is what I love about horror. Like when we can have these kinds of conversations. Just and geek like, out. Next, <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, next episode is going to be in two weeks. We're going to continue this topic of abusive and toxic relationships, and we're going to lean a little more into the abusive relationship next week. We are going to be watching The Invisible Man from, that, that was 2020, wasn't it? I think it is that a 2020 release <laughs> date. Yeah, you can. Yeah, with Elizabeth was, Moss. It was destined for theaters, mm -hmm. and now that theaters aren't a thing, it's on demand. <laughs> Yes, it is on demand, yep. yeah. And we are going to be spoiling the end of that movie, kind of the way we did with Midsummer. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to kind of lean. That might be a little more of a heavy episode, um, just kind of a heads up to everyone. But I think we can do it justice. We'll get through it. I'll make inappropriate jokes to lighten the mood. Uh, <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> it will. It'll be great, yeah. Um, I will watch the 1941 Claude Rains. Yes, <laughs> I will. Man. Which is a, also a great oh, movie. They're just wildly different oh, movies. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what's up next. Um, yeah. So we are a member. Oh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We just said it, but I just want to <laughs> say it again Psycho A Pod. Um, look out for information about a Facebook group or a Facebook page for us. We're still kind of working kinks out of that. Or in our time frame right now future podcast hopefully has all of those details so. yeah we're recording this well in advance of when it will be available yes. fyi this is the past calling the future Hello. it is <laughs> <laughs> yes everything's great um yeah so we are a member of the consequence podcast network and so uh check out some of their other fantastic podcasts like the losers club halloweenies um the horror virgin this must be the gig kyle meredith with the assembly the opus ghost echoes and the fifth dimension you can find me on the horror virgin um and occasionally on the losers club and you can follow me on twitter at G or on all the socials at jim Ferratu with two n's um mike and laura do you guys want to plug anything um you can find me in my other show the pod and the pendulum which is a show that i co-host with jerry smith Every week we are examining another entry in a horror movie franchise. By the time this comes out, we are either just finishing Joyride or just starting yeah. A Nightmare on Elm Street, which I'm really mm. excited for. Oh, um, my favorite. Every week we have like different guests come on to talk about their love for these movies overall. We just started a Patreon um, nice. in order to kind of, because like, Basically, in 2020, if you're a podcast, you have to have a Patreon. Um, yeah, that's uh, another thing we need to figure out. But we're going to wait. We'll wait. We'll, we'll wait a minute. We'll wait a little wait. bit. Yeah, we'll wait till we actually release an episode before <laughs> yeah. we, um, right, yeah. before we um, put our, our hands out for money. Right. But you can find us at like um, patreon.com, pod, and the pendulum. Um, our socials are at Twitter. You'll find me at pod and pendulum or Mike underscore Snoonian. Um, I've got some writing coming out for shutters, the bite, which will again, be out by now uh, and hopefully awesome. pitching in some other places. Nice. Yeah. Cool. That sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I am on social media um, being generally disgruntled at underalls <laughs> on Twitter, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S, like your underpants. 
and on Instagram at Instaglum because I originally started that account to put uh, up over-processed photos of trash cans and garbage disposals and things, and then I immediately abandoned that concept. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm up to right now. I, I'm also sometimes on Losers Club and Halloweenies, uh, and yeah, right now that that's as far as uh, my reach extends. Well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. This was this was a I I I feel really happy with this. I thought I had a great time. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think we landed on we came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves, and we're all and out of, we're all out of bubble gum, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's that. what we do. We we came here to chew bubble gum <laughs> and take care of ourselves. We're all and we're all out of bubble, bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Roddy Piper is spinning in his grave. I know. Uh, yeah. He would love it. He would love it. <laughs> he would, yeah. Um, all the way down in Frogtown. Well, yeah, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen. I'm Lara. And I'm Mike. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>